All right. Good morning, class. Welcome to Art Eater podcast number 22. Um, today, we're going to continue our, uh, you know, talking about Darkstalkers. Um, love this game. Uh, you know, uh, it's a very, very important game, very dear to my heart. Um, with us today, uh, I'm your host, uh, Richmond, and then uh, our co-host, Sean, is uh, also here. Hello. And then also, um, uh, yeah, let's just go around. Everyone introduce yourself quickly, please. All right, I'll go first. Uh, <laughs> I'm uh, James Stanley, also known as uh, Beefy underscore Kunoichi on Twitter. I am a, I do a lot of things. I draw comics, I do storyboard work, uh, character design. I write my own comic and self-publish it called Part-Time Shuffle. Uh, it's a culmination of all things that I love about fighting games, Vaporwave, and other cool things. And uh, yeah, like that is like my main uh, thing. But I do do freelance work from time to time. And uh, I rant about fighting games and music that I like on Twitter as well. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much, <laughs> that's pretty much who I am. Uh, and I've been a contributor to Art Eater for quite some time now. Uh, it's great to be able to get together and talk about stuff that influences us and influences a lot of other people around the world. Okay, I'm going next then. Uh, I'm Thomas. I'm a French uh, fighting game journalist. Uh, I've been writing professionally about fighting games for 10 years now. I run a, a website called Point in French. I'm doing podcast also for almost 10, uh, more than 10 years now too. And, uh, well, I'm glad to be back again to talk about fighting games uh, in the Artitor podcast. So. Um, I'm Sean. Uh, you probably know many people listen to the podcast. Um, uh, Sean Borsky, uh, way back with Richmond, went to school with James, um, been working in the game industry for a while. I'm uh, mainly focused on interfaces and UI. Um, I was in Star Wars for a bit. And then I worked at Blizzard Entertainment for about five years, and now I lead design on NZXT, uh, PC gaming. Uh, so you, you can follow me at Dvorsk, uh, but I'm usually just retweeting Art Eater stuff anyway. So, <laughs> What's up, everybody? I'm Adam. I also go by AJ. Um, I'm a game and level designer and pixel artist as well. I'm also a Taekwondo fighter from England. I just so happen to be crazy about Darkstalkers once again. You will have heard me say that last week. I was on the episode over there. And yeah, I'm just here to have another good time, talk about one of my favorite franchises, and really get stuck in. So uh, yeah, let's go. All right. Super happy to have all you guys here on the podcast today. All right, let's, let's get to it. Um, first, a quick recap. Uh, so last time we talked about the very first uh, Darkstalkers, known as uh, Vampire in Japan. Uh, that came out in 1994, um, and the game was a big deal for several reasons. Uh, it was one of the first CPS2 games, and it was just a huge flex from Capcom. So they, they had just revolutionized fighting games with Street Fighter II, and then this was their chance to really, you know, really flex their creative and artistic muscles. They really wanted to uh, create something really different uh, for, with this title. So they, they really, really pushed it with the art, the animation. It was one of the first uh, games to have just really nice, nice, like theatrical quality animation. But that was also like super responsive to gameplay. And they just went wild with the character designs and the art direction. Um, and the gameplay itself was pretty neat, but it was still, uh, still had a one foot firmly planted in Street Fighter. It was sort of like Street Fighter Plus. 
And I think with the sequel, Vampire Hunter, uh, this is when the game really started to find its own identity and just really started to push in a unique direction. Uh, so we're, we're going to talk about that today. Um, but first, I'd, I'd like to talk about the art just a little bit more. Uh, we got, you know, everyone on here is a, a aficionado of the arts. Um, let's talk about the two new characters that they introduced in this game, because they, they are so cool. <laughs> um, so uh, Shinko and Donovan were, were the two new characters, playable characters that were introduced in the second Darkstalkers game. Um, and they also made the uh, boss characters from the first game uh, playable. So that, that would be a Pyron and uh, Phobos, also called uh, Quitzel. But um, yeah, let's let's talk about Donovan and Shinko. Um, man. Oh my goodness. Um, I know the first time I saw Donovan, uh, I was just like, I thought I was going to play Donovan. Like, straight <laughs> up. Just yeah, based on right the, away. Yeah, it was like the appearance of the character. And I think what really did it for me was uh, his special moves. Uh, not their, like, utility, but the aesthetics, like, of his posing, uh, the particle effects. It was just something that I hadn't seen before outside of, like, anime. Like, you know, because there were no, quote-unquote, anime games on a huge commercial level at that time. So true, yeah. all of the, the posing and dynamism of his moveset was extremely intriguing to me uh to a point where i mean the rare times i got a chance to play this game even when i had it on console i would just do his special moves just to look at them because they <laughs> were they were so beautiful uh and so out of the typical because it's like back then i think what like world heroes street fighter were were things that you saw so you saw typical fireballs you saw like a, a projectile on the ground but you didn't see like elemental support it was almost like donovan had like a stand you know it was exactly. kind of like a very jojo mm -hmm. sort of vibe to it and i was gonna yeah, say found... it's a jojo character lost in the in, in vampire to be honest Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so i mean like the the posing like everything <laughs> about him was super cool i mean the fact that when he would put his sword down uh that the sword bended you know like it was all these interesting uh, elements to him that while I didn't fully understand, it was just like, wow, like I've never seen a character like this. So it was a huge eye-opening experience for me. But That's right, uh, the sword was alive. It was yeah, like, it, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. The sword actually has its own name, and it's got its whole own little story behind it, but it's called Dialect, and it has its own like singular eye. It can shape-shift. It's got like a little sort of sword mouth in it. It's a bit like um, Bishamon's in the sense that it kind of like, it has like a blood requirement in essence. And like in um, some of the comic books that are related to Darkstalkers, you can actually see that uh, Donovan has to go to this really cool, really strange temple and basically speaks to a bunch of monks and they say to him, okay, you're about to enter this really dangerous room with this really powerful, you know, living sentient sword in there. Are you sure you want to do this? And he's like, yes, like I must go. So he goes inside, like they seal the tomb behind him with this giant like stone like template. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm stuck in here with this sword now. And the sword just, it, it comes out of this giant slab and it just attacks him. And just like how it does in the actual game, when he uses moves like that kill shred surf, when he kind of surfs on the sword, or in a grab in his grab animation when the sword whips around the character, it was just like that. Like the sword itself is very much like alive and like flying and shifting and changing shape, and it's really quite an amazing like idea that he has this literal sword companion. It's it's very cool. Yeah, feels like something that should belong in Guilty Gear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. 
also the fact oh. that he's followed by a, a little uh, girl, a child mm. that is behind him all <laughs> all the time, and uh, that that speaks a lot like a, like you said a guilty gear or a jojo thing something like that but um that's uh that did, did you know that anita because that's the name of the the the, mm-hmm. the kid she was supposed to attack too uh when they when they started the development of the character they they wanted anita to punch and eat or do things like that but they, they thought that the, um, it would be too much to do something mm-hmm. like that and that that uh, players will not understand and uh, maybe they they were probably ahead of the ahead of their time because uh, that's an archetype that we are going to find in the gear later so uh, that's a that's a, a funny trivia i thought yeah mm-hmm. oh but before we get too far let's um let's give some some context for who who Donovan is as a character and, and sort of how he looks. Um, so uh, just just visually, uh, you know, he I, I just remember the first time I saw him instantly, it was like just drama, right? <laughs> you, you just look at this guy and you're like, oh, like this is a very traumatic character. There's just something very tragic about him at a glance, like this this quiet, you know, heroic suffering somehow. Um, so visually, he's got a, a Buddhist theme. Um, he, he, he looks to me like, I, I thought he looked kind of like Sri Lankan at a glance. Uh, just the way the colors that he, they use, like the brown and the yellow robes, you know, they, they recall like mm. Buddhist robes. And then he's got those giant beads that he wears sort of like as a sash across his chest. You know, like, you know, Akuma has the giant uh, Buddhist yeah. beads around his neck. And then Donovan has them like even bigger, like around his whole torso. Um, you know, he's got the yellow uh, robes, he's got his long brown hair and a braid, he's got this, uh, you know, this mopey little Wednesday Adams looking girl kind of clinging on his leg, you know, so (laughs) you have this element that he's like protecting someone too, and then if you look close, he's got this giant chopping sword, I don't know, it looks like a giant scimitar or maybe like a giant like Dynasty Warriors, like super stylized Chinese blade. And then if you look closely, it's got like an eye and a mouth. and It's all this crazy stuff, but somehow they, they balance it out. Um, yeah. Then, I, I, I remember hearing a little bit about his story. And, you know, again, I mean, my initial first impressions was like, dude, I'm going to play this character. Because uh, I was really big into... Uh, Vampire Hunter D, the original. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. And the, the certain aspects of the narrative of Vampire Hunter D and Donovan's story parallel. And yes. that was an intriguing uh, thing for me because it was it was similar, but there was like a, a spin to it. And I, I, it was it was like wow, like I feel like there's a whole world and a whole story here that like could easily be turned into an anime. Which I mean, they did make an OVA at one point. Um, you know, shout outs to Shuko Murase for doing their thing on that. Um, but, uh, yeah, like it was really intriguing to see a character dealing with like who, what their identity is and what their place is within that identity as someone who like hunts vampires and like, but he himself is dealing with what's going on in terms of his own inner conflict. Like, like it just was a good, I think for me, like it, it made the story in the world of dog stalkers breathe that much more where I felt like there was a perspective that I could kind of like walk into and say, okay, 
now I can understand all these other elements and how they all connect. Um, so playing through arcade mode with him was actually really fun. Yeah. Well, the the back isn't the backstory of Donovan is that he's a is a vampire hunter, but is also yep. himself ah, yeah. uh, a half vampire. So he's yes. uh, kind of yep. like uh, hunting his own uh, ki- kind. Yep. Yeah, and uh, yeah. that's uh, that's a redemption story, a redemption thing like that. I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't remember. Yep. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's also um, sorry, we're gonna say Richmond. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say, like, it, it goes so far to your point is there's a, a secret version of him that basically yes. represents the conflict um, that you're talking about. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, there is a backstory, D, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He his backstory is already just like Vampire Hunter T. He's a dampier, right? So he's a half mm. vampire, meaning he was born like like that. He wasn't turned into one. Uh, his his mother was human, and his father was a vampire. And then, of course, you know, the tragic backstory, his mother passes away and he grows up fighting this monstrous bloodthirsty instinct inside. And um, that's why he becomes a Buddhist monk. He, he becomes a monk to try to keep, uh, you know, his killer instinct in check. And, uh, you know, that's why he has the Buddhist theme. He, he even has long ears. That's that's like uh, something that shows up in, in Buddhist art. It's supposed to be one of the signs of enlightenment. It, it represents a rejection of um like uh i don't know earthly <laughs> desires for some reason um the a long ear lobes so yeah that's that's his backstory and then um yeah yeah adam do you, you want to talk about d his 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 alter yes. ego then yeah. yeah absolutely okay so he has this alter ego version of himself it's called d and it has a whole bunch of different moves it basically has like the body of a version of dimitri but it also has like the sort of the head and sort of upper half of Donovan. So it's in, it's an interesting little mixture. He has a lot of the same special moves. So he's still got like the kill shred, the, the moves like the Ifrit sword and the arrow, you know, all the different sort of elemental moves. But then he also has some other things that are different as well, like a, a move called like a hell dive. It's like a, it, it's a really cool attack. And so he's got a lot of different types of, how could I even put it? A lot of different types of expressions that come more from his more from his dark side. It's more so the manifestation of the of the monster within kind of a thing, and it looks really interesting. It's definitely got like that. It's definitely got that beastly, that feral kind of vibe to such a regal character. It's very it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like this character has so much going on, right? So he's he's, he's vampire hunter D, but then he's also got a Buddhist <laughs> theme. And then he's also got like a living sword, you know, and he poses like a Jojo character. Like he yeah, has very yeah. strange poses. Um, <laughs> and somehow it all works. Somehow they balanced it all out. It, you know, and, and, and he has like a little girl following him too. Like so many different things, but but it just works. Yeah. What's also what's also interesting about uh, Donovan is like the, the the BGM, the theme that they gave him in Night Warriors sounds like he's on some sort of journey to enlightenment it's a very calming uh track it doesn't you know it's not super like overtly like lively uh it 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 sounds like he's uh looking into himself and sort of dealing (laughs) with and it's not like there's a part of the theme where there's one layer that sounds vampiric or like creepy and then there's one that's like calm it just sounds like he's at a point of like I've been disciplining myself all this time and it's to a point where this is just like breathing for me 
and this is just who I am. And it's sort of like things do come up, but it it's like my journey is my journey, you know, and I have to protect this little girl. And like, it's just a really interesting uh, contrast to some of the other themes in the game because a lot of them are very much like insular to the to their character, but they're unified. Whereas Donovan does have like a very distinct uh, sound or feel to it in terms of its imprint. So it's kind of neat, like just it kind of complements when you're moving around with him. It just feels right, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just one thing as well, like in the anime, like OVA. When he gets like hurt himself, because there's a whole like there's a four episode OVA which is really good. It centers around a few characters, and he's one of those. But when he gets like seriously like harmed and like hurt and stuff like that, especially at certain points, like he will sort of like accept that he's being injured, or or to sort of like let the blood, the the evil blood that he you know that, that he wants to get rid of, he wants to literally just like let that drain from his own body. So like he'll kind of like try and be a little bit. It's not even like trying to just um, be say, be sadistic. It's literally just being sadistic. It's making sure that you can kind of get that evil that evil um, essence out of your own body in the most you know gruesome kind of way, which I think is really it really says a lot about like the atonement kind of for his mm. own like previous and past sins type of a thing. It, it's very interesting actually, yeah. Because the character itself, like, it killed, he killed, um, he, I think he killed like, his own village or his mother or something like that, I believe. And then in, in, in doing so, sort of came, came to and then realized, oh, wait, like, I'm really, like, this terrible, like, half-monster. Then I'm going to have to go on this giant soul-searching journey. I, th- I think that's more so where his sort of, like, hatred for the evil side of himself really, like, comes from. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, that sort of uh, self-punishment, that, that is something, um, you know, people who take uh, certain, certain holy men uh, take, have taken that path, right? Like, a, mm. I don't know how to pronounce it, ascetism, ascetism. Mm. Um, but, oh, yeah, you know, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, it, it, it's, you know, it, like in, in Buddhism, uh, the historical Buddha, he, that was something that he, he tried out uh, before deciding that like you know just just punishing your body like that isn't necessarily like the best way but um that is you know a real practice just like really physically like trying to beat the evil out of your body um yeah and it's just it's, it's neat to see that actually manifest in the character like that and i also think it's quite neat that um it's sort of his backstory is that you know he he still he struggles to control this you know this 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 dark side, um, and then with the the thing that actually uh, turns his life around is meeting Anita, the little yeah. girl, and and seeing that she she's also right also a, a dampier, and uh, you know because he wants her to have a better life, like he is able to you know give him strength. So that is pretty neat. Mm. Yeah. Um, so this character, uh, we, were, we were saying, um, so JoJo in general was a, a big influence on, on Capcom at the time. Um, Cyberbots also came out in 1995. That, that had a very explicitly like Iraqi-influenced uh, style. And um, JoJo was just really popular with the team at the time. If you look at the Darkstalkers art book, they talk about how it was a big influence too. And I think you know, that definitely manifests the most in Donovan, not just in how he poses very strangely, but um, the way he plays, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it's just like I was mentioning before, a lot of his uh, special attacks blatantly look like he's summoning 
different stands. Like as if yeah. he's he's like an OP version of JoJo where you know he has multiple stands. Right? Yeah, exactly. like like it's like he's just he's got like this like uh, spice rack of stands that he's <laughs> like just accessing yeah. for different things and uh, you know just the thought of having to fight someone that can do that even within the otherworldliness that is Dolph Stalkers. That's a a pretty imposing statement of just like well what does he do? Oh well he summons everything yeah. <laughs> like like and how yeah. do you yeah it's like and how do you fight that you know and then he's so calm about it you know like you would think that someone with that much power would be consumed by arrogance it's like ah i could do all of these things you know and it's like you know they would embrace i guess their inner re and just be like i'm gonna you know but with him it's just like he's got so much on his shoulders that like you know there's a certain discipline for him to be able to do that and i guess that plays to the fact of like the power that he has like only he or someone like him would be able to wield it i noticed that he's uh got a very similar feel on a lot of his special attacks to uh the way that dio plays in the game like there's that that whole like uh pull like not just having the stand but being able to pull stuff from out of like the sky and just dropping on top of you um yeah they definitely do a good job of kind of showing the the control and level of power that he actually has access to Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like we, the, uh, <laughs> yeah, Dio's famous steamroller, and then he he just summons a giant foot, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just about to mention that. Yeah, that move's called Press of Death. It, it's fantastic. Yeah, this like giant blue foot opens up from like the heavens or whatever, and then just stomps on the actual the player, and then yeah. they just like leaves them on the ground. It's it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, what's amazing about that is also the the voice actor for Donovan sounds very like regal and like just almost like in that moment when he's doing uh that particular like special move like there's a very holy sort of presence to his sound or like i don't know if it's modulated that sound bite but like it just there's something about the experience of doing that move that just feels like like wow like 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 you forget where you're at you're just like oh my god this foot just came from the heavens to stomp on me not the spray but me itself like you're just like (laughs) you know it, it, it takes you to a different place it's it's uh man there's a strange feel. So he has uh, like dive kicks, what we call dive kicks in a fighting yeah, game. Yeah, so yeah. he, he goes yeah. down from the sky, but he goes down surfing on the sword. And he has a he has a, a silver surfer uh, vibe when doing it. I feel that is very because true. Yeah, it's I think like it's a, implied yeah. in the story that that's actually how he gets around. Like that's just how he travels. <laughs> he travels on the sword like a surfboard. Ah. Yeah, it's super so super fun. cool. You can also plant the the stick the the sword on the ground, and after that you can launch the sword um, forward like a projectile. Yeah. So that's uh, that. He has a lot of um, interesting gimmicks that were used in other games. After that, like more uh, more how to say it more. Um, refined in other games with other characters later, so he's he's very interesting character in the whole you know big history of fighting games. Yeah, but, yeah, I, I, yeah. I was gonna add. There's a, another interesting element of his story that, that I think is at least noteworthy. Um, yeah, a lot of characters in different fighting games, especially like in Street Fighter, always have like side characters and stuff like that. Like, uh, but he has Anita, but the, the other side characters usually don't come out until like. The end, like there's like part of a victory animation. But if you actually notice, uh, Anita actually actively follows him around in the middle of the fight. Um, 
like she's an omnipresent character as part of him. So like she isn't really part of his gameplay, but um, <clears throat> I don't know. To me, it always gave it that that interesting kind of like lone wolf and cub type feel because like uh, she's always kind of moving to stay behind him uh, as you're mm-hmm. fighting, um, and it just kind of like. Um, I forget where I saw it, but I saw someone did a version of it, and they edited her out, and it's very strange. Like, it feels wrong. <laughs> You're just like, something's wrong. What's, what's going on? So you don't realize, you don't re- you like kind of subconsciously recognize that uh, having Anita running around in the backgrounds uh, as part of, like, his animation in-game uh, is something you, you just kind of... I, I kind of assumed it into the my, my kind of understanding of his character sprite on screen. Mm. She also has an animation where she, um, when um, Donovan is doing uh, specials like the the Bigfoot or transforming into a vamp- his vampire self, uh, she um, she crouches to uh, not uh, be caught. I imagine in the in the attack. So mm. she's she's like always looking like left, right, left, right, following him. Like she's she's uh, she seems uneasy. A little bit, mm. and uh, she crouches when uh, he attacks a bit yeah. too strong. So that's cute. And uh, is, uh, isn't aren't that their uh, air powers are supposed to be suppressing uh, a suppressing ability or suppressing magic or something like that? So they they make a good pair of uh, vampire hunters. Mm. And one thing I, I had pointed out to me by uh, AJ is that uh, Nobuyuki Hayama is the voice actor for Donovan. And, you know, there's a reason mm-hmm. why uh, his his delivery is, is so powerful is because this guy has been all over anime since 1992. And he actually yep. voiced one of my favorite characters from Cowboy Bebop that's kind of underrated that most people don't talk about is uh, Shin, uh, one of the two brothers that was in uh, mm. Red Dragon. Yes. And, uh yep. You know, it, I mean, for him to be able to perform such a, a more quiet, subtle character and then to be able to do someone like Donovan, you know, it speaks to uh, Hayama's range. Uh, I mean, this guy has done everything from, you know, Bebop to Pokemon to yep. like, you know, he was in D-Flag. I mean, this guy has done, I did not realize like how Me either. Uh, this guy has done so i mean again shout outs to him i mean because he did an amazing job doing the voice for donovan yeah it's actually quite amazing just like the caliber of the actors that they can actually reach just for for so many different games and it it really does speak to just how high quality the that the work was just from back then and obviously the person's been able to keep on doing amazing things up until now so yeah it's it's just super cool to to look back and see this and dig in It's, it's nice yeah I mean, this is like uh, equivalent to when you find out that there's a reason why A-Groove Bison is so scary to people in CBS2 outside of A-Groove. It's the fact that Noyo Wakamoto does his yeah. voice. Yeah. 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 Like, like it's, it's just like, yeah, it's like, oh, okay, that's why I'm terrified. Because this <laughs> guy embodies, like, a villain, like, in the best way possible as a Japanese, like, a voice actor, you know. Oh, holy cow, he was here. Yeah, uh, yeah I was just about to mention that. Yeah, that's yep. awesome. Oh. I was literally just about to say that, yeah, back in, in Yu Yu Hakusho. Wow. Dang, good find. Yeah. Okay. Uh, last so. thing, I, I also, <clears throat> before we get out of talking about the art, I also wanted to call attention to something that I always really thought was cool, which is that um, he has the, um, which I don't know what they're called, but the uh, the beaded necklace that he has. Uh-huh. Um, the, the, very much the, the heavy Buddhist imagery. Uh, it isn't just a, 
uh, it isn't just something that he has. It's actually integral to his fight animation. Yes. Mm. Um, not just in attacking, but in blocking as well. Definitely. Yeah, that's true. It is part of his blocking animation. Yeah. The, the pieces separate, and they've got this like blue energy around them. Yeah, I, I remember. This yeah. is such an intricate character. Like... Yeah, oh. Uh, by the way, those are called mala uh, in in Sanskrit. Um, ah. So they're 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 uh, that means garland in Sanskrit, and they're prayer beads that are uh, traditionally carved out of wood. Oh, nice! That so I sort of, like I'm, I'm, I'm not a I'm not I'm one, not a pixel artist of the many pixel artists here, but when I remember looking at that and being like, wow, because. Uh, Doing a sprite where it it separates from the character multiple times seemed and it it doesn't it doesn't just change blue it changes different colors based on his attacks and it also uh, changes color based on how he's blocking so that seems like mm. it would be a very difficult thing to animate. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that's like the majority of dog stalkers in general. In yeah. General. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like every. Yeah. Every character, every sprite is just like full of challenges that you know you got to remember when this stuff was being made. There are mm. a lot of limitations. Uh, so, I mean, this is a testament to the power of CPS2, which is why I feel like they used it for so long. Oh, you know? gosh. I just noticed like they have effects animations that correspond to his different elemental attacks. So, if he's doing a fire attack, they catch fire. If if he's doing an electric attack, they, they form this triangle and, and glow with electricity. That, <laughs> that That's such a cool level of detail. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, the type of planning just for Donovan alone is like just... Uh, well, you, you... We, we also didn't talk about how like he... Uh, so he has all these stands, but he also has his vampire form that he occasionally unleashes. Um, oh, that's right. As part of a couple mm -hmm. of his attacks as well. Yeah, yeah. but well, it's a it's a super move. So, in Hunter is uh is basically like kind of flying. That's uh mm. I haven't played Donovan a lot and never. I think I never used it. I've seen it but never used it seriously. So, I'm not sure. But uh, he is very interesting because he looks a lot like uh, some sprite from um, from uh, ah from the main character. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because he, he grew, uh, he grows um, wings, and uh, he has ah, also, his, his silhouette is very uh, like wall dark. He looks, he looks like, um, he, he looks like when ah, uh, oh, I can't remember the Dimitri. main character name, like Dimitri, Dimitri throw Dimitri. animation, you know, yes. a bit like yeah. Dimitri throw animation, where where Dimitri uh, transforms into something like a shadow and bites mm -hmm. you. And uh, yes. he has this kind of uh, same aesthetics to him. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. They're both vampires. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And, and that, that's a big else? part of why D's sprite... Sorry, just, sorry to hop oh, in, but yeah. it's, a big, it's a big part of why D's sprite works so well, right? Because, like, the sort of the uh, the powerful, top-heavy, strong, very regal, powerful-looking aesthetic that Donovan... That, that, um, that Dimitri already had, and the fact that they sort of were able to merge that so well to create D, it just speaks to how good they... Uh, Dimitri's initial character design even is like it, it fits the connotation so well that it can be utilized on a whole other character do you know what I mean it's, it works so well yeah 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 that, it, it could have easily felt like a like a Mugen character right it could have been mm -hmm. a mess just mashing them together but it it worked I want to mention it also uh I want just to mention it uh not 
not just for uh, JoJo reasons, but uh, there's a, a piece of art of D that looks a lot like Gil. Um, and it's actually, I always thought there was some like interesting comparisons between the two characters um, in terms of the way that they're rendered. I forget the artist's name. I, I probably should know. But uh, uh, the, the illustration of D is by uh, Daigo Ikeno. I know because that's, that's the only <laughs> official illustration of D. Uh, the painterly one, and then the in-game portrait, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The painterly one looks like, remind, like I just got the, yeah. the, gill, the gill feel mm. from it, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wanted to mention, uh, you, you know, like, so, so uh, Donovan and Dimitri have the, uh, that sort of dark demonic form sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know who else had that is a uh, soul bad guy from Guilty Gear, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like oh, Donovan. I feel like is it's like, like a sort of, yeah. Yeah, it's like a it's like an homage almost uh, when you really look at the shapes that it makes and how angular it is. It's 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 similar to oh, the shape language is exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, I think they, they put some like Devil Man, uh, you know, uh, wings on his head. Though, oh, yeah, to of course. It a little bit. <laughs> I, I think Donovan is pretty much like the first honorary Guilty Gear character, right? It's like, yeah, it's yeah, like, say, yeah. yeah it's like a whole fighting game roster's worth of ideas in one guy. And then it's like, no, let's just, <laughs> just make it work. Just get all that in there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So that that is just a, that's that's one one of the new characters um, introduced in this game. Uh, let's let's talk about uh, the other one, uh, Shinko. Ah, I love I love yes. Shinko. I think she's one of my favorite characters in all fighting games. She's uh, so she's a uh, how do um, the the uh, Xiangxi in Chinese? Xiangxi. Xiangxi. And so Xiangxi are the 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 the, the zomb- Chinese zombies to make it uh, more understandable, <laughs> and uh, which is which, which I think is very funny is that Xianko, so she's called Leile in uh, yes. in Japan. Japanese. She's she's actually true characters because on the characters there's Leile, so the the body, uh, the, the 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 zombie, the Chinese zombie, and there's also a sister, so make whose whose name is uh, Lin. Lin or Rin Rin, I'm not, I'm not sure. And uh, Lin Lin is actually the bound of paper that Sienko has on uh, her forehead. Yes. And uh, I don't remember what's the name of this kind. It, it's used for uh, purification, if I remember Sailor Moon correctly. And <laughs> it's, uh, how, how does it, how is it called? Um, um, so uh, in in Japan, that would be um, that would be like a Shinto scroll. Yeah, um, I, I don't know the Japanese word, but um, as a Chinese character, uh, that that should actually be a fulu a talisman. So mm. it's uh, it's a Taoist um, uh, talisman. You know, it's, it's paper uh, with like a holy, you know, uh, uh, characters on it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, to to imbue like. It, it's used for Taoist magic. Yeah, yeah and that, and, that's, uh, that's what her, her sister is, yeah. In the case of, uh, of Ling Ling, so she turned herself into this to be able to uh, give her sister some control on uh, of her zombie form. Because basically, yes. the, the, the two characters were, um, I think, trained to be martial artists. 
and when they were they were killed by uh, by um, by dark by dark stalkers, so vampires or monsters or things like that that were sent by Jeddah that we and we don't uh, I don't think we've met Jeddah. Yes, we met Jeddah. So, and uh, after that, they decided to become uh, monster hunters too. So basically, both Donovan and Sienko are monsters that eat. That uh, um, that hunt monsters, so that they yes. are very uh, and they are super different because Donovan is super serious and uh, <laughs> almost a monk, and and uh, Lele is super. It's like the opposite. She's supposed to be a zombie. She she should be like walking slowly and be like brains or something like that. And uh, that's the opposite. She's super lively. She runs everywhere. She can throw things at your face uh, all the time. Uh, she's jacked too. She has a lot of muscles because she was um, a, a trained martial artist. So she's super cool. And uh, her animations are super great too because. And when you look at her idle pose, she's not moving. She has like the the, the arms uh, in front of her, like a zombie walking. But her head is rolling around, like uh, from uh, from left to right. And uh, she's like a, a true true zombie. And she, when she starts moving, she's actually super fast. And uh, that that's super surprising. And uh, mm-hmm. I love her voice. I love her moveset. She's really really a great female characters in all fighting games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I just want to uh, expl- give some cultural context real quick. So uh, yeah, uh, like Thomas said, uh, Jiangxi is actually um, something that exists in Chinese folklore. It's, uh, it's, it's a, a Chinese hopping ghost, sort of the equivalent of like a zombie or a vampire. The idea, um, it, it comes from this uh, Taoist belief that um, so uh, traditionally, they believe that your soul is made up of uh, multiple parts. And a, a lot of old cultures actually believe this. They, they believe you, you don't just have like one soul, you have like multiple souls that make up a human. And so the idea for the Jiangxi is when someone passes, uh, the part that controls higher cognitive function, you know, your, your consciousness, like your ability to like love and make reasonable decisions and be a good person, uh, that passes on to the afterlife. Uh, but then for some reason, something goes wrong and the person's animal instincts, uh, that mm. remains behind in the body. And that's what animates the body. And because the higher con- cognitive functions are gone, it, it, you know, it just acts like a monster. It just wants to feed and that's it. Um, and uh, traditionally, uh, if you look at Chinese pop culture, uh, Jiangxi are usually male. Uh, they're usually dressed up in a Qing dynasty outfit. That's the last uh, Chinese dynasty. So they got like black robes. Um, like a cylindrical hat, very distinct hat, maybe like a long beaded necklace. Um, and the, so the, this was a, a movie genre that, that got really popular in the 80s, these Chinese hopping ghost movies. Uh, they were real popular in Hong Kong. And I, I think they started off as sort of like horror and evolved more into like comedy horror. Um, and the, these would have been popular in Japan too in the 80s and 90s. Uh, Hong Kong movies were really popular in Japan, they were like super mainstream. If, if you look at um, a lot of the anime and manga that was uh, really popular at the time, was uh, very Chinese inspired. You know, Dragon Ball, Ranma, Fist of the North Star. They're they're all very much based off of like kung fu movies. Um, and so, you know, that, I think that's what fed into them making a Shinko, a, a Jiangxi, because uh, that's a very unusual choice, right? Because the first game is mostly 
stuff that would have been familiar to a Western audience, you know, like it, mm -hmm. it was sort of pitched as a universal monsters game originally, right? You got Frankenstein, Wolfman, Dracula, uh, the, the, the Gilman, you know, the creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, and then the second game is like very Eastern, right? You, you have Vampire Hunter D as a Buddhist monk with Jojo influences, and then you have uh, this really cute hopping ghost, which is very original, because usually they're just like scary-looking, Frankenstein-looking, you know, Chinese ghoul, and now it's like it's this cute hopping uh, girl. Uh, it, it, it's a very imaginative take. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then um, uh, Adam, I think... sorry, sorry, go. <laughs> no, no, go, you, go ahead, go ahead. I was I was going to say like uh, to um, about her clothes. What's interesting is that she she has very very long and large sleeves, and um, and when you look at the art that Bengus did for her in uh, in Vampire in uh, Night Warriors, like. The, their arms like fall on the ground, like the 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 sleeve fall on the ground, and they're so large that she almost has when she's standing a, a triangular shape. Mm. So that's yeah. super. That's a super interesting shape. And outside at the uh, at the end of the sleeves, there are these giant claws of metal, and that looks like a, a Wolverine, like a, an X-Men Wolverine thing, ah. but it's also very, very different. So that's uh, that's super fun. And what, what's very interesting too is that it's not her real arms that are inside. She's She has normal arms and she sometimes pulls out her uh, real arms out of the sleeve to attack or throw things or things like that. So she's, uh, even in clothing, she's very, very strange and original character yeah yeah she, she's not your typical like speedy female character she's like a big bruiser yeah mm -hmm. just a powerhouse you know what's interesting is and i mean i could be off base this could just be like my own uh sort of opinion but i felt like in a weird way she was an odd take on i guess the design philosophy behind sentinel and children of the atom like mm -hmm. she's got like an interesting like mobility where she's not super fast but she can feel like oppressive like in terms of offense mm -hmm. depending on how you play her but not in a uh typical fashion like she's got like an air dash that can be canceled into normals and like she's got these long range normals that have nothing to do with the typical range of a human being's body um and there's like these like extended like appendages like with these blades and I, I there's something about even just her overall like animation and look it just she made me feel like she could be functional in Children of the Atom if she was in it but mm -hmm. I also think she would be like insanely broken so I mean there's there's also that well she was in Marvel versus Capcom three and she was completely low tier so that answers sadly, your question <laughs> yeah sadly she was not she was not quite strong but uh, you're right because she has like moves with super armor or things like that so um so she's definitely like a the powerhouse t type and uh, this is surprising because like like we said she's a she's a a young uh, young girl that turned to a zombie and uh, she's actually described as a nice and respectful person 
So <laughs> that's like respectful, but uh, in your face uh, character, mm -hmm. that's very funny. Yeah. Oh, I, I just want to elaborate on one more thing. Uh, Thomas, you, you mentioned how her sister is actually the seal on her head. Yes. Um, that, that's something that plays into the uh, Jiangxi lore. If you, if you watch these old Hong Kong movies, uh, a central plot point is um, their weakness is if you if you put the, the talisman on their forehead, they stop moving. That's how you seal them. Mm. Right. So so her sister turning into that uh, totally plays into that. And, and that also plays off of the actual historical uh, Taoist belief of the multiple souls. And, you know, she, you know, like that she's sort of acting as the higher cognitive uh, part of the soul combined yeah. with her zombie sister's body it's a really great idea and, and the execution is wonderful mm -hmm. yeah, it definitely is yeah i've got a couple of things just to hop in on right now so um yeah in her general playstyle, with regard to the projectiles and things that we've just mentioned i think it's such an interesting character trait because so many of the other characters they all have projectiles of their own but like yeah. no one has as many tricks and as many tools as she does like she really does feel like a like a hunter like with a with a big bag of tricks mm -hmm. or literal or literal you know tricks up her sleeve kind of a thing because she has these giant huge like massive sleeves that are a big part of her outfit and then she just <laughs> pulls like all these different like daggers and shurikens and small little hatchet axes and kunai and all sorts of things these giant saw blades and big old like two-ton weights and stuff she just pulls them out it's very yeah. looney tunes cartoon yeah. really, yeah. i really i really like that it's i hadn't thought about cool. tricks off her sleeve but that's really good <laughs> yeah yeah cool. yeah you like that one yeah okay cool so yeah so basically another thing that i really love about her as well is the fact that her personality it comes through in so many different ways but she's one of the first characters that i remember seeing have an on-screen interaction with another character that other character being lord raptor he has romantic feelings for her and she uh -huh. sort of you know brushes him aside and turns him down but his body literally contorts into a heart with the with the with the arrow through it but it's a fish bone and that makes me laugh so much because, like, it just takes this—it takes this romantic sensibility for the, you know, something that we all know and see in characters and in media and in our personal lives and all sorts. Like the sort of hearts coming out of your eyes, uh, the big wow, look at that person, that gorgeous kind of a feeling that you see. And then the way that she kind of just dismisses him and brushes him off right before they're about to fight—it's just—it's it, hilarious. Just the fact that that's something that I decided to put in, and obviously, it, it's a—it's a personality trait. It plays into both of how we see them and who they both are. So it's very very cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. it's good. She also the the way she moves. I was just walking, uh, re, um, watching again. Uh, I talked about her hiddle pose, and what is surprising is that she stays on her toes and she's she's shaped like an S. And that's that's super strange because she she she's like we talk about Donovan taking some JoJo poses, but it's like. Uh, Sienko is in a constant Jojo pose, but one that is not, you know, the the classy look at me uh, type, but more right. the okay, it's not normal. Something is a body should not uh, stay like this, you know. I feel like you're, you're talking about that that like that uh, I'm gonna call it like a deep contrapposto that like Jojo characters tend to just stand yeah, around yeah. in. She doesn't do that. You're right. Yeah. But it still, like, still feels very relevant. The, the gravity center is not where it's supposed to be, and she she managed to stay <laughs> uh, on her feet. So that's uh, that's something that makes her even stranger. And, and it's not in your face. You 
you, you see it, you feel it, but you have to take some time to identify that uh, a gravity spot is not where it should be. And that's also because with the arms and the weight in the sleeves, well, it's, it balances her, but yeah. it's, you, you're not very sure if she's going to fall or not. So that, that's super cool. This character is so cool. Yeah. What's also strange when you watch her moving, like like she has a couple of things that uh, to me like strike off kilter kind of very intentionally, like uh, the way that her head moves, and also yes. uh, she has she has like the sleeves aren't her arms per se. She has another she has regular arms mm. that she also uses, and like every once in a while she moves them out of out from underneath the sleeves, uh, and there's just a lot of um, like I said that all those movements kind of feel off kilter but they don't feel unbalanced uh, like it really works like i don't know i don't even i can't even imagine how it would look otherwise but it's just a lot of uh very interesting movement mm-hmm. yeah one of my favorite things about her again just the movement that you mentioned is great because um she has like this ability to sort of like pop in and out of like reality almost when she does her dash like she does a little like teleport like you don't see her at all for a second and then she kind of like hops out of the ground it's it's very very strange it's super cool mm-hmm. Another one as well, like her air dash as well. She does a little like three-step run in the air, like at any point. Yeah. So yeah. like it, she's just this gravity-defying, sort of reality-defying almost character where she's again like like I said, a little bit Looney Tunes, a little bit cartoon yeah. because she's she's yeah. pulling things out of her sleeve. She's running on air. She's just popping in and out of existence. You know, she's she's got this really weird idol where her head's almost turning all the way around. Like it, it's super cool just to think about this character in in that sense too. Also, one other thing I wanted to mention. Um, she has that move, uh, Ankiho, where she throws out different like projectiles. It's basically like a little, a little um, Hadoken of sorts. But one of the actual things that she throws out amongst a bunch of different knives and bombs and all sorts, she throws out a little statue of Akuma. And it's like, what? Like, it's a little reference of sorts, again, like a little nice little wink and a nod. So it's cool. And if it hits you, it does damage as well. So it's this little um, pixel art rotating statue of Akuma with the little heaven symbol in, in kanji on the back and stuff as well. So you can tell it's him. It's super cool. It's one of my favorite things. Okay. She also has a, a kunta move. Like, uh, she's, she puts, up, uh, puts out a gong. And uh, and eat it, and so the the shockwave can eat you, but it and it can also um, returns uh, projectiles. So you mm-hmm. can return adokens or things like that from uh, your opponent. That's super yeah. cool. Yeah, and like 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 you were saying, Adam, like that is really appropriate for like a hunter character, right? This, this mm-hmm. person is prepared to take down like you know any of these dark stalkers, right? Yeah, yeah. So they've been training for for all these situations. There's another thing I wanted to ask you, uh, Richmond, about her, is that uh-huh. uh, uh, clothes, you know, um, uh-huh. uh, uh, the, the, the clothes the clothes she has, she has yeah. a, a giant ribbon ribbon on her back. Uh, and I was wondering if, uh, if that wasn't more Japanese than Chinese, you know, uh, something related to the, um, to, the, um, to the traditional kimono. With the uh, with all the the knots that you do behind your back on the with the kimono. Um, sure. Yeah, and I'm not sure I, if if that's Chinese if Chinese uh, traditional you know uh, clothes have it or not. Uh, yeah, I mean that's definitely a very prominent part of uh, you know Japanese clothing, uh, kimono. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think depending on the dynasty, uh, th- there are. Uh, periods in Chinese history where they do tie uh, sashes around uh, the the waist. Um, I don't know of any 
right off the top of my head that are quite as prominent and layered as like a super formal kimono but um mm. but yeah ri ribbons are, are are very much like a chinese thing too and then okay. I, i'm sure at some point like uh, probably the kimono is influenced by like tang dynasty um gosh i wish professor andy were, were here he could answer that <laughs> question <laughs> I, I I'm not qualified to answer that, but but I the 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 ribbon isn't in, it's not like inauthentic like Chinese clothing has has ribbons yeah. Okay, thanks. Um, I will say the the giant sleeves are authentic like um, like a lot of Chinese clothing uh, Hanfu has like really huge sleeves and um, you know the dog breed the Pekingese like the little like yes. little smush face long haired dog. That's actually one of the oldest dog breeds in the world. It comes from uh, China, from like I don't know, like thousands of years. By some oh wow, people. really? Wow! And um, they called them sleeve dogs because they're small enough to fit in your sleeve. <laughs> oh wow! Because <laughs> people had massive sleeves back then. Whoa! That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. I don't want massive sleeves, sleeves now. Yeah, I'm. I'm, hey, I'm just googled yet. Chinese sleeve dogs, and I have cool picture of dogs, but not of Chinese. <laughs> ah, okay, found it. <laughs> I bring that back. You gotta, we gotta start sporting giant sleeves and carrying dogs in them again. We need it. We need it. Yeah. That will be useful, you know, to to carry dogs in the in the metro, where they say, ah, oh, you have to carry your dog in a bag or <laughs> things like that. You <laughs> put. You put the yeah. dog in the sleeve. It's like yeah. the dog becomes instantly accessible and portable. <laughs> <laughs> and so you can and you you can do uh, like uh, Sienko and throw a dog at your opponent. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't even phase me if that was an attack she actually had. I, that that so. wouldn't surprise me if it was in New York happening in New York. <laughs> it probably yeah, is happening here. <laughs> That's the in the Waffle House. Or Waffle House. <laughs> yeah, or Waffle House. Like either, either or. Those are two parallel like dimensions. So <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Adam, I think you mentioned something interesting about her name. Uh... Oh yes, yes, yes. Actually, one second. That is right. Yeah, so I just had like a whole bunch of notes and things. I was doing something else just now. So yeah, so uh, Senko's localized like Chinese name. It's in a yeah pinyin format, and I cannot pronounce this, but um, it's basically I think this might be like Haitian Gu, I think. So read as um, it says Kasenko on Yomi. So I'm not sure if that was correct. Likely not. But yeah, it comes from one of the uh, eight immortals in Daoist uh, Pantheon as well. So I know that you mentioned that earlier. I just wanted to get that in here as well. So, so it's pretty cool just to see the lengths that they went to to actually, you know, research and just make sure that things were, in a sense, authentic. But then also they were able to have fun with these other many other aspects that we just mentioned, but then all have them tie in in such an interesting, you know, grounded, rooted and realistic way. I think it's really cool. Yeah, super cool. Definitely. Uh, yeah. That's a great reference. I I did not know the name went that deep. Oh my gosh! I uh, uh, Adam just posted. We we got a chat going. He posted a picture of uh, Lord Raptor's reaction to seeing a Shinko with the the heart just popping out and the the, the fishbone Cupid's arrow. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Yeah. Send it to me too. Yeah. <laughs> Please. She, she's so <laughs> Looney Tunes that, that she. On Twitter later. Yeah. That's quite she makes him go Looney Tunes too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, shall we dig into the gameplay? Yeah! 
Yes! <laughs> okay. I'm boggling like a yeah. Sound like, sound like bison then. Like, yes. 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 I'm like the, 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 the gif, you know, of the guys with the with the belt and saying yes. Okay. Okay. Let's so go. I'm, I'm starting. So. One of the things that I love the most is that the so re remember we are in uh, in uh, 1994 for the first game for the first game, and uh, I'm going to mix a little bit uh, both the, the the first game we talked about last time and the new one. But what you have to to take basically is that it's the birth of a new type of fighting games and that's super super important that that's basically the the, the grandfather or the great grandfather of everything our system works will do later yep. so that's super mm -hmm. important that's the most important i think that's one of the most important games of capcom because of this because not a lot you know of um, family of games managed to um live very long like if you take games like art of fighting or fatal fury and um and a subsequent episode like the real boot series at snk they are great games very very great games but if you would put out like a game like real boot 2 today people would be like wow what there's there's like to uh, there's like a background and a foreground and you can go from one to you know games are not you know as innovative as they were but that's also because some formulas didn't uh, stick enough to uh, to become their own sub genre of fighting games so the vampire series managed to do this and uh, one of the, the the reasons is that it was um, taking some gameplay evolutions that were global at Capcom in the year 1994 because they, they, they released first Vampire, then I think it was uh, Children of the Atom, and then they also uh, uh, and they also released uh, Super Turbo. So one of their goals was, was with the gameplay to do something that will be different, but still will still Stay a little bit in the in the Street Fighter, uh, you know, formula. Basically, they didn't want to copy SNK uh, because SNK was doing a lot of great games and that that were very experimental and very different. They wanted something to be their type of new game. And what is interesting is that when you see like games like like I say like Art of Fighting or Fatal Fury or King of Fighters. You see that these games have, you know, mechanics that you can put uh, on the, the back cover of the of the case and say, yeah, you can play on the foreground, the background. But the the, the vampire series, the the, the 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 meat of the change changes is way way more subtle. Subtle, sorry. And so one of the big changes is the, the arrival of the um, uh, universal defense in the air so you can basically jump and guard and uh, defend yourself it doesn't work against uh, against a game uh, sorry not game but uh, moves done on the ground so on the airs and things like that so something that we will see in street fighter alpha a few months later and uh, all almost all movement is character specific and not just in speed but in type of uh, movement you can in the first game you could crouch 
and move forward. Uh, and what I will say changed the most is that since you can jump very fast and that all characters move in their own way, the game is less about zoning and more about breaking your opponent guard. And um, in the in our previous episode, uh, James mentioned that there was it was a bit the arrival of the overhead, so the the um, a type of move that breaks the the crouch guard in uh, in the fighting game world as a good uh, tool, a good thing that you can use. And uh, to do this, to allow it to function, they sped up the game and then sped up with the combos by introducing the con what what they call at the at the time the consoles combo and the consoles combo were character specific and all character could not do the same ones and the the console combo was simply you press one button then a, a second button then a third button if that exists and the game will automatically cancel the first the first uh, button with the second button and with the third button so Instead of doing links, so you wait for the end of the animation and you have a tight timing to do a second move and uh, it's basically uh, tied to um, frame data, you can press like a light punch, middle punch, heavy punch and uh, something will come out. And that's super fun and that's super accessible. That's, I think, one of the most important things that's very that's interesting to speak about this in 2020 because we've shown Guilty Gear Strive, uh, the Guilty Gear series, having this uh, this uh, chain system, this cancel combo system for mm -hmm. years now, for 20 years. Is, and is they this are, what they call chain combos? At yes. At the time, they were called cancel combo and they were renamed chain combos in Vampire Hunter. Because okay. at the time, the console combos were character-specific, and after that, in Vampire Hunter, they decided to make it universal. Like, all characters that can console from light to medium to strong. Yeah, and I think there was another term uh, when they were explaining, I guess, or introducing chain combos. Uh, it was called, like, a magic series. Yeah, uh, there yeah. Were, there were terms for the path that you could take. So the most yeah, basic one... Path. <laughs> yeah, so so basically there was something called hunter and linear combos. So basically mm -hmm. what would happen is you have three punches, you have three kicks, right? So if you wanted to do like a linear combo, you could do light punch, medium punch, heavy punch. And that would be the end of like a basic chain from light to heavy. You would do the same thing with kicks. But what they started to do to create more diversity in terms of what types of chain combos you could do was they had something called Hunter Series where you would start with a punch and then you could finish doing the rest of the kicks. So let's say you did light punch, you could do light kick, medium kick, heavy kick for a four hit chain. Um, and then from there you could say, oh, okay, well, I could also do light punch, I'm sorry, light kick, medium punch into either heavy punch or heavy kick. So it, it sort of gave people like this uh, basic diagram that you could follow in terms of the, the path that you could take to do a combo. Um, and it actually helped me a lot understand yeah. what Capcom was trying to get me to do. And I ended up taking that information and using it in Alpha 1, 
X-Men versus Street Fighter. Like, it just, mm -hmm. it opened up a whole world for me. But when you show somebody all of the arrows at one time, it can be a little complicated, but, like, they purposefully had, like, you know, the basic path and then what you could add to it. So it did open up a lot of opportunities for people to understand how to inflict damage in an easy but also stylish and cool way. It's basically the Gatling combo system before the Gatling combo system was mm -hmm. created. Yeah, um, so from all I explained, you can understand that the offensive part of the game is very s simplified, uh, very accessible. Like, you can jump, uh, and the, jump are, the jumps are very fast in the, in the Vampire oh, yeah. series. Uh, they are very low to the ground most of the time. You can cancel combos, you can do so many things. And so what, what is the fun part of the game? Well, you guess it, it's opening your opponent guard. That's basically it. The, the goal of the game is not like, okay, we are walking forward, backward, and I'm going to do crotch, medium kick, adoken, and things like that. The goal is to be, okay, I'm going to jump in your face all the time. And once I am in your face, I'm going to punch light, medium, heavy in your face. And even if it works, even in guard. So basically, you can just try if you want, and all that is going to happen is push you forward because the recoil is uh, a bit the strong style, when, you, yeah. Yeah, when you do a light, medium, strong, for example. So there's the recoil, but after that, that means that the, the opponent itself can dash forward or jump while you are recovering for, from your own moves. So there's no like, we go back to neutral and throwing fireballs and sonic booms and things like that. It's all about jumping attacking and things like that so that's super the, the also the matches go super fast because the um, the you can do a lot of damage and there's also a super bar and the super bar is very interesting because um the you i don't, I don't remember if you take it or you give it to your opponent but basically it uh it triggers itself automatically. So when you uh, when the bar is full, you have a short amount of time before it goes empty again. And so what you can do in the first game with it is um, uh, enhance an existing special move. So what we basically call today X moves, EX moves. And um, at, at the time they were called ES move and no EX move because there were enhanced special moves and uh, some and all characters in the first game also had a, a unique move that could only be done with uh, with the super bar like just like for example the the super attacks in, in uh, super turbo so and uh, just to finish about attacks and things like that the the the, the projectile uh, handling of the game was very different because some projectiles had different resistance. So if you threw, for example, a fireball with an EV punch, it could absorb another fireball that was thrown with, uh, uh, let's say, light punch, for example. So th there was that's not something you had in Street Fighter at the time. You you will not have an adoken that could do to it and absorb a projectile. So that's super, super cool too, which, because there's mind games, you know, even at the, um, that even more mind games at the, at the fireball, uh, at the fireball moment, at the zoning moment, even if it doesn't happen a lot. Mm -hmm. And so 
there's also and just to finish finish because they are not stupid at the time they also gave all characters new defensive tools of course and one of the most uh, one of the most obvious is basically you can roll when you are on the ground and standing up and depending on the button you press you're going to roll further or not and um, you can also break throws and that's the first in a capcom game because if you remember correctly in street fighter 2 you could only uh, mitigate the, the the damage done by the throw you could not you know say get off me you will take yeah. the throw and land of your on your feet and take uh, less damage and, yeah, but, you can only so they, soften throws yeah. in uh, Super Turbo. Oh, so th this was the first game where you could like cancel a throw? Uh, I'm not sure because uh, I discussed this with friends and they said uh, I'm not sure because there was World Heroes at the same time and I think World Heroes did something like that. Okay. World, um, yeah, World Heroes mm -hmm. did have a throw-breaking technique that you mm -hmm. could use, uh, but I think it was, was very different than the I'm way it sure. worked yeah how, how do so you cancel the, in dark stalkers or in, in, in was vampire hunter the first or, or dark uh, no no it was in the first in vampire um i think it was i don't remember <laughs> i think it's the same it's the it's same not... input as a throw so like yeah. if someone yeah. was gonna throw you and let's say you were making a hard read or you're reacting to the animation you would just hit toward throw Okay, so and it's then like that you try to throw them back. Yeah, essentially and, that's what it. Yeah. yeah. And what what is interesting is that there are you have both in the game. You can take the throw, or if you take the throw and react too um, too late, you can jump. You can um, get on your feet directly, just like in Super Turbo. So that's cool. And finally, the famous I think James, you're going to. I think you love this mechanic, but the guard cancel. The, yes. Oh my yes. God! That's the that's a, a defensive mechanism that is very interesting. Basically, when you are blocking your opponent attacks, you can do uh, an input, and this input is going to uh, break your own guard and push. I think it uh, now it doesn't push back the opponent. Just it gives you uh, a special move from your from your defensive position, and it's super super hard. To do it's like super super hard you yeah. have to you have to do i think it was a, a, a fireball no a shoryuken motion it's a shoryuken. but it's a shoryuken motion but from mm -hmm. from the you are blocking and you have to stop blocking to do a shoryuken motion and hope that it works because if i remember correctly james i'm not sure but you have to the more buttons you press the more the more chances you have to get the move uh, come out, isn't there something uh, like that? Yeah, there was something. There was something like that where, like, if you added an input, like it would increase the uh, probability of you being able to uh, meet the requirement within the frame window. Um, it's hard to do, but it is extremely satisfying when you're able to pull that off. Um, it takes a particular type of skill to do. Not many people do it. It's no, almost... okay. I'm 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 uh, doing a. It's a. Um, it's it's not the the guard console. It's the take it. Oh, you Vampire. mean advancing uh, guard? Yeah, the advancing guard. Advancing you know that guard. that 
that was the thing that had a, you know, a, a certain percentage of chance to come out depending on the number of buttons that you were doing. And that arrived in Vampire Hunter. So it was a classic guard console in the first game. So as you can see, it's a very, very, very different type of game than Street Fighter 2, where basically all you did <laughs> was, you know, throwing fireballs, uh, making, putting one move, maybe two in the guard of your opponent and throwing him. And suddenly you can jump all the time. You can run. You can press so many buttons in the in the opponent's guard, and the opponents can um, guard cancel you. He can roll, so you can't you know you can't go on the offensive. You can say, okay, I, I throw him this way, and I, I'm going to jump on him, and suddenly he rolls out of your jump. So there's a lot going on that is very 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 different from uh, Street Fighter at the time, and there's nothing that is as obvious. As uh, you know, um, the, tr the, the 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 team play of King of Fighters or the background or foreground of uh, Fatal Fury, but it created a new type of game. So there you go. That's the important thing from the first game. And in the second game, so in uh, in uh, Vampire Hunter, they um, polished a little bit the the the, um, the formula, which makes Vampire Hunter being the 1.5 version of the game instead of the true uh, version 2 of the game. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what, what, what it did was uh, it spiced up so many things that mm -hmm. were cemented in Street Fighter 2. It was like, if you're a fan of attrition, well, you're going to have to become a fan of something else because there's so many things that this series allows you to do where if you have impeccable zoning now you have to be able to react to the opponent's ability to say okay you're keeping me in this spot and you've got a hard knockdown but i can negate that hard knockdown with a tech roll mm -hmm. so now you have to respond to where i'm at and in you know in those games before once you got a hard knockdown you were already cemented and determined to do what the next step was but now you have to second guess it or you have to react uh differently there's so many other things that you have to look for so it made uh zoning a lot more difficult but it also offense was like the name of the game but it was also also pretty risky because yeah. if you're doing a guard cancel on somebody or someone who's really uh keen on their frame data they're going to punish you pretty hard. So it was scary on both sides. Mm -hmm. uh, although I would say that on the offense side, you probably had a bit more of an advantage. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it's definitely one of those things where on both sides, the risks were higher, but there was more to do. So it, it, it almost, it shook up fighting games, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and it made for a different type of expression where someone who wanted to embrace... Uh, I guess offensive mayhem, you know, Oonga much boonga. like myself. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it allowed you to express yourself in a different way. That mm. it's not that you couldn't do it in Super Turbo, but this game allows you to do it in a much more easier and uh, conducive fashion to the actual game design itself. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because I I have a pretty aggressive Ryu in Super Turbo, but like being able to do. Uh, countless overheads on someone and scare them into standing up and now I'm getting lows into chain combos and then I'm still in your face, you know, 
that creates a different type of expression that really isn't allowed in Super Turbo unless you're playing Akuma. You know, like it mm-hmm. it it opened up a lot of doors for uh, you know gameplay in in expression. So yeah. yeah, it was it was it was a very fun time. It was all new, so it was very interesting. And they refined the the formula in Vampire Hunter, just like I said, because there you remember when I said that you had the, the traditional throw in the Vampire Hunter, and so it was in March nineteen nineteen. That the game came out, yeah. The um, the so the chain combo, the the cancel combos became the chain combos. So they were standardized, like you explained. And after that, they also added the the pursuit. After you throw oh, someone, yeah. yes. you can you can jump on it while the, the the opponent is on the ground. It's it's a bit like in Virtua Fighter. Uh, at the time, you could do this. You know, the the character will do a moon jump and, uh, and yes. step on your face, yeah. and uh, and so the the portrait is the same. And I really love that because you you trade uh, basically Oki, uh, Oki so uh, the the, the mind up, game, yeah, yeah the, the mind game of your opponent uh, standing up for damage. So th- once again, you have more choice on the offensive side. They also standardize the the special moves, so. Instead of having, you know, a single bar that fills automatically and empties itself, they decided that we sh- the, 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 the player should choose when to use the, the special bar. So they, they allowed the player to hit the opponent, get it, and stock like three levels of uh, super bar, which was very, very different from other games at the time, where you have you add one bar, and you threw one special move, one super, super special move, and that was all. And suddenly you can, like, I don't know, you are Demetri, you can throw, like, uh, an enhanced an, an special three times in a row. You don't care, you know? <laughs> you like, mm-hmm. take it, take it, take it oh, again. Oh, yeah. That's, that's super cool. And so they added the famous... Take it. So if you if you feel the game is probably overwhelming from a defensive perspective, you're right because suddenly you, you, you it's like you can't catch a break in the in this game when you are when you are defending yourself. So they added take it and take it is basically a get off me uh, option, uh, a thing that says like okay. Um, it's like putting your hands on the torso of your opponent and pushing to say okay. Enough. Get far from me. <laughs> and that's super interesting because in this game, when you are doing the chain combos, you do light, medium, strong. And the strong buttons, they have very long animation, recovery animations. So if you manage to push your opponents away while he's doing um, an EV attack, you can probably counter-attack right after while he's recovering. So there's the new mind game inside this uh, this attack but you can also completely miss because the 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 way of doing the ticket so pushing your opponent back is basically doing a chain combo in reverse so you press from the from ev medium light and the percentage of chances that the ticket will come out and work depends of the number of buttons that you are using so basically you are guarding yourself with the with the uh, with the stick and you try to press the six button in a row like the two evs the two mediums the two lights and if you do the six 
buttons in the short uh, in the short period, you have 80% chance of pushing your opponent back. I think that if you just use like two buttons, it's 20%. So yeah. it's not guaranteed, you know, you have to take the risk. And what is super interesting too is that you want to push back your opponent when he's doing an heavy move. But if you if the opponent is not attacking you and you think he will do it and you take it, you are basically opening yourself because you start with an heavy button too. So there's this whole mind game of will he attack? Do I start doing my uh, my take it now or, or not? And if I do it, is it going to come out? Because there's a chance that it doesn't come out, even if I do it perfectly. So this game is savage. <laughs> yeah, I've got a couple of things just wanted to mention very quickly. There's yeah. so much great information and stuff, but um, a couple of things just to talk about briefly. Just in case people don't know, like for things, for example, like wake up times and things like that. Like in this game, they're strategic. So basically, like when you do get knocked down, Basically, you enter a state where, obviously, you're on the ground, you're knocked down, and upon being able to recontrol your character again, we call that wake-up in, um, in, the, in the fighting game community, I suppose. But um, in this game, you're able to have a thing called strategic wake-up time. So basically, you can, after being knocked down, you can press left or right, or an attacking input, and then the character that you pick, they'll move left or right, depending on which direction that you've pressed and which you've held. And then on top of that as well, that gives you the actual opportunity to evade different people's pursuit attacks, like what was mentioned just now. So you can actually sort of like, you can outplay someone who thinks that they're outplaying you, in a sense. So it's a very good sort of like, I know that you know that I know kind of back and forth <laughs> that always happens mm -hmm. in fighting games. So yes. it's just really cool. Helps, helps you throw people off the mind games and things like that. That's one. And then another thing as well, um, this one's kind of another. People call it different things, but you may have, you may or may not have heard if you play fighting games before of a chicken guard. So basically, like yeah. most people, yeah, most people will know about this. Is basically just um, just jumping at the opponent like a block in midair, basically. And in this game, like the jumps are actually like pretty flexible, so you can like you can chicken guard and and an attack. So mm -hmm. if there's like sufficient space between that first hit that you've just blocked and the next one that's incoming, like you can basically cancel the uh, the air block stone and then hit them with something so basically as they're sort of like in the air and as you're in the air you've, you've got extra opportunities do you know what i mean whether they're on the ground and you're in the air mm. you've got so many things to think about it adds different layers on top of layers on top of layers so there's that and then there was one other final little thing i just wanted to mention here briefly uh cool so yeah i think you guys talked about um just general like tech hitting and, th and throwing and things like that in general but mm -hmm. One thing that I just wanted to hearken about, like, it's the, it's the nature of the throws and what it is that they actually do. In so many games, in like for example, Street Fighter, or in just a whole bunch of other different titles, like, they, th they have throws, but like, they're always kind of like basic. But in this game, like, they're always so interesting to watch. Like, you have Rikyo's, like, where he hits you with his tongue and sort of, like, flips you over. Yeah. And then you have, like, yeah, it's, it's sick, right? Then you've got, um, you've got John Talbain's where he grabs you, does, like, a triple, like, backwards roll into, like, a really big throw. Like, yeah. they're always so expressive. And it's one of the things that I love the most about this game because they've gone ahead and they've done such a great job of cementing such, you know, basic mechanics that we all know and love. But then they've also added in this very specific and unique flair. That's again, it's just so Darkstalkers. It's just so, it's just so expressive and it's so unique. And yeah, I, I really love that. What yeah. is super interesting is that uh, I think it was the um, 
um, it was Kate, you know, one of the game designers of uh, the recent Killer Instinct, season two mm -hmm. and three. He said something like, a good fighting game, or, or it was in film, it was someone related to the Killer Instinct uh, re reboot, said a good fighting game has too many options for you to think about. That's what makes a game fun because if you don't have enough option, you can, you know, in your mind cover them all and try to, you know, uh, outplay your opponent, and uh, that that makes the game a bit stale. And what is super fun with this game and with all other games from Capcom from this period, maybe maybe not Alpha One or Alpha Two, but uh, I think Children of the Atom is a bit of the same, uh, is made of the same wood, is that you can't think about everything all the time because the game goes too fast. If the game was was slow, you won't have the time to think about all these things like, oh, he's going to attack it, he's going to... I'm going to pursue him now because I want the damage, because... Nya, nya, nya. But what's interesting is the combination of mechanics and speed that makes you unable to think about everything. Like the opponent yeah. is probably going to do something you are not thinking about right now. And that's the mark of great games. That's something also a lot of mm. people, new players or things like that are, feel uh, is overwhelming. And uh, that's something a lot of, uh, you know, marketing and uh, design game designers or producers and uh, fighting games said, oh, the, there were too many mechanics in the old games, blah, blah, blah. We're going to remove some, streamline mm -hmm. some. And in some aspects, it works like in Street Fighter 3, where they removed some parries from Second Impact to, you know, change it. And uh, if you count the number of mechanics in a game like Third Strike, there's not so many mechanics, you know. But it's a process, and um, and if you replace a lot of mechanics, you have to replace them with a very strong and very wide um, mechanic like the parry, you know. And so, but since the parry is something very strong, most game designers today they, they hesitate. They're like, we're going to, I don't know, maybe make the parry take you some damage or make a parry for lows mm. or parry for mid mid moves and things like that and so you need to be overwhelmed in a good fighting games that's a yeah. good thing actually and yeah. that's I, something that Darkstalkers mm. make very well I think what it also encourages is uh, regardless of your play style and your approach it makes it forces you to be confident in your decisions because if you're you're freezing up because of oh man the, the all all of these variables then you're not really playing you're just losing at this point but like when you're able to say okay i know that there's like a massive amount of variables here but i also know what i can do and the only thing i can do is confidently display that to my opponent like it allows you to accept the fast-paced environment of whatever happens whether your tactic works or my you know your opponent's uh, tactics works it it sort of gets you to understand you know what i just got to get in here i get my hands dirty and if you see high level play of like dog stalkers in general uh you see that and you feel that you're like these two players know exactly what they want to do and they're super confident in it and the only way for them to play as well as they could is not to hesitate, to not... It's not that you're not thinking, because you're, you're thinking about what you're going to do, um, and you're not paralyzing yourself by uh, the unknown. And I feel like uh, 
Street Fighter 2 allows you to be more pensive because of the pace of the game and allows you to uh, be a bit more like quietly decisive about things. Whereas in Dolph Stalkers, it's, it's, it's just like this melting pot of just, you got to get in there, you know? And mm-hmm. it's like, if you're going to throw somebody three times in a row, that's what you're going to do. You're not going to like hesitate. <laughs> you're not going to worry about a low short coming out into like, like, uh, I'm sorry. I don't want to mean to say like super like street fighter terminology. I'll say light kick. Uh, but that's the thing. Like you're just, it makes you confident and it sort of, uh, introduces people to a different type of expression and it makes the game, as Thomas said, very savage and it's <laughs> very enjoyable. Super savage. Would you say it's more instinct-driven, maybe? Uh, within the confines of understanding what your character can do and, like, within the system itself, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say mm-hmm. so. Some things probably are intuitive, like, you know, visually, sound cues, stuff like that. But, like, I do think that, like, having a firm understanding of what the mechanics are and what they can do, like, and having your confidence based on what you know on that front, I feel like, yeah, like, it becomes more... Uh, instinctive there is some learning that has to happen but once you oh, get yeah, past that yeah, point like yeah like you're you're gonna be in there like somewhere mm. Mm. i've just got like a quick random note actually just since we're talking about things right now i wanted to mention this really cool fact i just found out so um we all know about like double chaos but just in case anyone here doesn't if two characters are both on a very small sliver of health each we often see characters both go to hit each other and they do what is called a trade so basically one character hits the other the other character hits the other character at the same exact time and the box is crossed and then the the uh, damage is distributed equally amongst the the characters so basically when they're trading they're both going to get hit and they're both going to die that normally is what constitutes as like getting a double KO or a draw in most games. But yeah, so that would usually require like in most games one or more rounds to be played afterwards. But in this game, it counts as like a win for both players. So if one person gets a victory in round one and then the second round is just a double KO, the person with the round one win, they'll just win the game. And I think that's really interesting. It's just again, it's like it's such a savage game. Like it's just like nope. I don't care. No, that's it. That's nope. It. Nope. That's like, it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like it, it makes me laugh so much because like it really is like savage in like every single way. But it makes it interesting and fun and full of flair and uniqueness at the same time. And it it makes you want to keep going. Do you know what I mean? It's not a frustrating. Well, it can be frustrating, but it's not an overall frustrating or negative like experience overall. It draws you in with fun time and time again. It's it's excellent. Oh man, you guys are making me want to play. <laughs> and that, that's and that's yeah. just Vampire One and Vampire Hunter. We haven't talked about Vampire Savior really? yet and its gameplay. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and so, it's uh, it's actually it's it's so good. Like, <laughs> oh god, so, Vampire Savior is so good. <laughs> oh, <I> think, <laughs> uh, do we want to do we want to save that for maybe a part three? I think that that's I think that's yeah. applicable. Yeah. yeah, because there are like <laughs> small characters to, to explore, and uh, yeah, they are yeah, so several... great. The, the, oh, the okay. full last character of the game are amazing, and there's a lot of there's not a lot to talk about gameplay wise, but there are one change that deserves to be talked okay. at length, I think. Okay, well, uh, okay, tune in next time for that. But um, for <laughs> for Vampire Hunter, let's uh, keep keep going. Um, uh, any more discussion about the, the gameplay specific to this game? Uh, sorry if I was a bit long. Uh, I spoke oh, a no, lot. No. Oh, that was great. <laughs> no, it, it was wonderful. It was great. Yeah. Uh, nah, man. Yeah, it was, it was there a lot of mechanics I didn't know about there. 
this is not quite a gameplay thing, but um, I, if I seem to recall, I believe this is the game that uh, Daigo uh, actually got like his big start on, right? This is where it became like well known, right? Oh, well, a lot of uh, a lot of players became very well known this at this time on this game. I think there was, uh, I think uh, James mentioned Sako. Uh, yes, yes. Before, but all, all actually, a lot of the good fighting game players that you 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 know and hear about today, yeah, they, they became well known of the on the Vampire series because it was. It was, I think, more of an elite game than Street Fighter was. Like Street Fighter remained the king in the in the early '90s, but you know this game, for all the reasons we explain, both from an artistic point and gameplay point, it was so fresh, so new, and you had there were so many new variables to take into account that if you were a fighting game fan. For the gameplay, you will you, you will play this game, obviously. Mm. That, that's that's like the, the, the logical thing to do. But I think the most you know um, big uh, vampire period came with Vampire Savior later. And since Vampire Savior is 1997, that's quite late actually in the Capcom uh, fighting game history for the 90s. So. Yeah, because a lot yeah. of them, a lot of them actually continued to play Super Turbo even with, uh, you know, the iterations of the Alpha series. Like there were regional tournaments, like national tournaments in Japan, but like there were still people that played Super Turbo and predominantly played Super Turbo. And then when Vampire Saber came out, that was like the more refined version of, I guess, like the variety of the the spice that uh kind of like change the game so to speak yeah. in terms of capcom fighting games like like uh versus games had an audience in japan but i feel like that audience only grew like in later years more so whereas in the u.s uh you know that was a game that americans embraced on a very high competitive level it was kind of like uh there was a synergy with i guess the kusoge of those games in the u.s more so than in japan so Japanese players were playing like Vampire Savior or they were playing Guilty Gear more so than like the Marvel stuff or other games. Whereas in Japan, it was like you played ST or you played Alpha 3 because Japan kind of got over Alpha 2 pretty quickly. Um, yeah. You yeah know. And since since Alpha 3 came out, I think it was late 1907 or 98. And you they, they had only Savior to, to play during the year 1907. So I suppose that's the reason, but we'll talk about this in yeah, the next yeah. episode. The, yeah, whole game, ahead of the whole game is uh, incredible. Yeah, I, I, want I, to I, just, in. yeah I, I just want to add, just for context, uh, I keep mentioning this in every podcast, but Street Fighter 2 only came out in 1991. Yeah. Uh, that was not that long ago. You know, like, so 1991, Street Fighter 2 came out and pretty much set the groundworks for fighting games as we still understand them today. Today, we're talking about uh, Vampire Hunter. That was 1995. So in four years, you went from Street Fighter 2 to... These are the fighting games that came out in 1995. Marvel Superheroes, Cyberbots, Street Fighter Alpha, Mortal Kombat 3, Tekken 2, Battle Arena Toshinden, King of Fighters 95. Like... The genre yeah. just exploded by then. So this was pretty much like just the, the, the at the peak of the explosion. This is like the golden yeah. age where 
Um, the genre has been around for four years. So now like people are really invested and people are getting really, really deep into the mechanics and the artistry of it. That's, uh, that's the quite, uh, that's the beauty and the, the, the death sentence of fighting games, actually. The, mm. the fact that the, the, all these game companies were making new games that were more and more complicated and interesting, it just, you know, it, it will, it did not, it never managed to outgrow the popularity of Street Fighter 2. It yeah. only managed to divide the, 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 the existing player base yeah. into sub-communities. So basically, Street Fighter 2 was the most popular one. Everyone played it. And after that, only the hardcore players remained. And those hardcore mm. players were then split into other series. So that's... Uh, and after that, if you go into different regions of the world, some games are more popular than others and things I like. like we, we can talk, for example, of the, the, the popularity of the SNK games in North Africa or in uh, South America, for example. Okay. And uh, yeah, that, that, that's super and important. China. But in China too, yeah, the, 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 the SNK game culture in China is incredible. So there's a lot to say and depending on where you are, it was different. But basically, yeah. what's true, and that's the same, for example, in King of Fighter. Each time, each year, you, you get a new King of Fighter. It just divides, you know, yeah. the, the the community from the guys that want to stay, for example, on '95, and the others that want to play '97, and um, yada yada. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like who, who wants to play chess, you know, part two. Well, yeah, it, it, it actually yeah. exists. <laughs> yeah, it it but it caused it, it's interesting because it it showed that there was a interest in a particular type of experience within like the hardcore spectrum. Yeah, um, yeah. you know because you had, uh, you know, in the U.S. like there was like a massive divide of like what uh, constituted as a good game, uh, you know. I know in the 90s, I think in like Cali and sometimes in New York, you had people using terms uh, that were coined from Game Fan. I think Nick Rocks or Dave Harrelson said this, but they were like what proper Street Fighter was. Yeah. And, mm, you fun. know, Street Fighter 2 to some people was proper Street Fighter, whereas yep. to some people, the Alpha series was considered proper Street Fighter. I was a weird kid that was in the middle ground where. I learned a lot of my fundamentals from playing Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, but I embraced the newness of stuff in Children of the Atom, stuff that was in Alpha 1, stuff that was in Alpha 2, and I thought all that stuff was cool and great, and I didn't really see the divide of it until I started going to tournaments where, you know, you'd be speaking to somebody and you mention, you know, X-Men Children of the Atom, they go, oh, I don't want to play that stupid game. But then you'd have someone else who's like, oh, man, I really like playing this in terms of like the high level aspect of it. So in the U.S., there was like people who only played the Versus series and there were people who only played, quote unquote, proper Street Fighter. But then there's divides within that. You've got mm -hmm. people who love Third Strike and you've got people who hate Third Strike but love Super Turbo or CBS2 or so it, it, it did show that like there was an appetite and it was variable of appetites for these types of games. I think the only problem is that, like, if you weren't on the metaphorical bus, so to speak, already of what was established, 
it created like a, a, a tall hill or mountain to climb in order for you to get acclimated to like what makes these games work on a competitive level if that's what you wanted. So it's like if you're a kid who's like, oh, I just like E Honda and I want to play a Street Fighter game, and you play some guy who knows like how to store supers with Chun Li and they're walking towards you doing super because you hit a button, like it creates a, a jarring experience for someone who's not really ready for it. So it was a good time, but it also had its pluses and minuses. Yeah, and I think most fans of those games knew that, you know, the, the, the genre was actually, uh, like, like, like Richmond say, 95, 1995 is basically the peak of 2D fighting games. And uh, after that, it never went back to where it was and uh, because other series came out and uh, there was also a big change in consumer habits with the PlayStation and people wanted to uh, be plugged into the Matrix in 3D yeah. and VR <laughs> and things like that. So, you know, that, there's, it's kind of... Ju just to give you an idea with numbers, I think the, 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 the first cartridge of, Super Tube, of Street Fighter 2 on the, on the Super Nintendo, the Famicom, Super Famicom, mm -hmm. it was like 6 million units sold, something like that, you know. Yeah. Tekken 3... Tekken yeah. 3, like it, Tekken Hard 3 came out seven, seven years later, so in uh, 98, Tekken 3, the same year than, than Street Fighter Alpha, the, it came out on the PlayStation. Tekken 3 sold 8.5 million games. And the same year, Alpha 3 only sold on PlayStation 1 million copies. So, mm. you know, that, that says a lot that the, what people wanted from fighting games was realistic or pseudo-realistic things and that was 3D and when you go I think you 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 went uh, you talked about it in a in a Twitter thread today Richmond about oh the press and the players and everyone was saying why Street Fighter 3 isn't in 3D and everyone was waiting Street Fighter 3 and when Alpha came out they were like oh they're just buying time and what we want is the, the third episode not an Alpha thing and things like that you know mm -hmm. and so when when uh, Street Fighter 3 came out in 97 well it wasn't the game that most people wait wanted and uh, i think that's one of the reason why japan embraced vampire savior when it came out the same year as street fighter 3 uh, new generation because street fighter 3 didn't felt like street fighter 3 you know uh, street fighter uh, it doesn't felt like street fighter okay, i can't I you know it. i, I, I can't I, I gotta rain stuff back <laughs> we get it i think we're getting ahead of ourselves here yeah. sorry about you. this <laughs> no, no 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 we're all about all about the tangents, but I, I just want to make sure we we save some good stuff for the next next podcast too. Um, thanks. Uh, okay, just just to uh, reel things back to to Vampire Hunter, um, I actually would love to hear some thoughts uh, from Sean, but also from everyone else about the the UI for for this game. All right, so I actually have a lot. I have a lot more to say than you're probably expecting. Um, okay. So, um, I see. I, I'm. I'm actually not going to talk about the character select yet because I don't think there's as much to say, but there is something to say. Okay. But um, I actually want to talk a lot about. Um, I don't think this this game invented it or anything like that. But this is one of the first fighting games that has a really 
uh, like shows a really deep understanding of how peripheral vision works. Um, so especially if you compare the UI to the first game. So you, you're, we've all seen a standard fighting game interface. It's got um, health bars at the top. Uh, it might have a portrait. Um, it usually has like a, a timer and a, a, a round counter. And then usually your super bars are at the bottom of the screen, mm -hmm. um, which, is, which is basically how, the, how uh, Night Warriors is structured. Um, but in Vampire Hunter, they do uh, something pretty interesting, which is um, they move the entire, um, in, in UI you often call these um, clusters. Uh, so they move the entire interface cluster to the top. So there is actually nothing at the bottom of the screen, except for That's like right. uh, the insert coin stuff if you're playing the arcade mode. Um, but here's what's really notable when I talk about peripheral vision, something that they do really well in this game. And a lot of, uh, I think we even, I even uh, took strive task for not understanding this, which is, um, so your peripheral vision, uh, basically, you know, if anyone's familiar, what you see out of the top of or the sides of your eyes is very sensitive to motion, but not sensitive to color. Because uh, you don't have the cones in your eyes uh, mm. to see the color. Um, so what, it, what, what is very interesting to me in this game, and like I said, I, I think it was one of the first fighting games to do it this way, is if you, if you pay attention to the interface, uh, they've kind of relocated the, the portraits in the top bars as gold, and they, they dock to the top. So like, literally the portrait doesn't hang down into the gameplay space. It creates like kind of a right angle. And then that's where the bars sit. And that the, the gold kind of recedes, which is good. But that's, that's so that everything else can flash. So, like, um, basically you have uh, very clear um, neon colors, green for health, and uh, orange for damage being done. So the, the use a split complement so it recedes. But mm -hmm. um, the, you're, basically what they do is as your super bar is building, there's multiple super bars, uh, they flash as they're building, and they have an animated texture behind them. Uh, and they also have a jagged shape, which makes it so that you can visually pick up the shape differences without looking. So basically what's happening is uh, it's flashing. It has a texture. It's moving. When you get low health, the entire character bar starts flashing red. And then also as your super bar increases, um, the number every time you unlock a new level of super flashes red uh, and then changes to the next one. So the reason that this is uh, so important and a lot of games fail to do this is you can be paying complete attention to what's happening on screen at the bottom of the screen, and the top of your vision will pick up the motion. So you can actually be relatively aware of how much health you have, how many super bars you have, how far your next super bar is, without actually looking at it very much. Like you don't actually have to take your eye off of the character to glance upward. Um, which, if you think about it, it seems small, but having to glance down, then up, then back down, then into the middle of the screen, uh, it takes a lot of extra time away from uh, games where frame where frame advantage is a thing. So what's important about it is they do use different colors for everything. So every bar has its own color. Like I said, green for health, orange for damage, flashing red for almost dead, and then basically the uh, the super bars go through a um, a blue to green gradient. They go a light blue, teal, green as they build. Um, so. This is all to say that it's really well designed for something that you don't need to pay attention to. And when you do glance at it, you pick up all the information very, very quickly, all while being in service of not getting in front of the game you're trying to play because it's all docked to the top. Um, so I feel like they learned a lot um, from the first one. And a lot of more modern 
more of the modern fighting games started doing this in UI. They started pulling stuff out of the bottom of the, the scene and docking it and moving it to the top, downplaying the character portraits. Because um, like our earlier ones used to have like animated ones or they used to like hang way, way down into the canvas, which is pretty distracting. So anyway, it's a really elegant uh, approach. Mm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm watching some video right now. Like, uh, it, it flashes your 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 the number for how many supers you have stocked. It's, mm -hmm. it's very easy to to see. It's also very smart because if you have like, if you are colorblind or something like that, the flash is enough to give yeah. you the information that you need instead of uh, you know just using color and changing the color. So that's uh, that's pretty smart. Even if I don't think they thought about it at the time. So um, yeah, the superbar is super colorblind friendly. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's one of those things where they may not have understood what they were doing, but I think they in, they kind of intuitively got what they you know why it worked right mm -hmm. so um i can so also to, just to mention this is more going to be in line with more of my like guilty gear style comments but looking at like say the character select this is also one of those ones where we talk about how great the first game is but there's also like a tremendous jump in the quality uh in terms of uh from a polished perspective uh the night warriors logo is much better executed in this one and uh if it, like it's easy to to kind of forget that they're not too similar but this one has like kind of the 3d canvas look um it does that mm. very uh popular thing where it kind of puts the the character sprite on like a, a circular pedestal to put them in, in space and if you remember the the other one uh the their first game had animations but they were much they didn't basically have a dark background and they had animations so the personality came through in the animation whereas this one uh, each portrait has a much more zoomed in aesthetic and it's much more illustrated much more cartoony and each one has its own color space like which i thought was really really cool so like as you're moving across it like um lele has like pink anakaris has like green um um i'm blanking on the <laughs> the, the creature uh from the black lagoon one but he has like an orange space um mm -hmm. so like each of them have like their own kind of like color space that matches to their character so like moving between them uh, is is really easy to kind of get an idea of what the character feels like, um, and uh, we talked about this at length with most fighting games. But it also does that really good like hype hype you up, like the music, the verses, the fire in the middle, like <laughs> showing you two sprites kind of like idling toward each other. Like it just it gets you ready to fight. So um, like I said, it's not a dramatic change, but it, very similar to King of Fighters thirteen. Uh, the little things they did do, like the the curved the curved space that pushes your eye to the top, the fact that they placed color spaced icons on top of black, like all of it just makes it feel more polished, uh, much better. Like there was definitely a building understanding of how to polish the the feel of the game. So in my mind, like it kind of contributes to it feeling a feeling like a as games get more mature, this is part of what makes it feel that way. Absolutely, yeah. You, you can just tell all the levels of thought that have gone into it, and it's just it's visible, right? Right, as you can see it, yeah. You you think about this all the time in a subconscious sense. You never really think, oh, I need to look down here. I need to look over there. Like you sort of have to just do it, just to get used to you know that muscle memory of looking up and down. But what you just mm -hmm. mentioned here, it's, it's perfect. Yeah, it it just fits so well. Anyway, that's my uh, that's my UI spiel. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. Uh, yeah. I love it. Uh, too. Uh, actually, um, 
what, what do you guys feel about just the overall color scheme of the game? Like, I, I felt like uh, the first game, you know, was very painterly. Um, it, it looked very much like uh, like traditional animation. It looked like something you might find in a feature film, very detailed painterly backgrounds. Um, you know, no, not very obvious tiling, if any. But then uh, the second game, they push it. Like, the colors are much weirder, <laughs> right? They're, they're a lot more yeah. like, expressionistic. It made it made me feel like the, the the Guilty Gear, you know, slash colors for those who know. Well, <laughs> sudden, suddenly the, the colors doesn't make sense, and it's uh, it's very wild. <laughs> yeah. One thing which I just want to mention as well, it's a very good thing you just brought up. The actual backgrounds in this game, and in all the games, but in this game, they, they're all beautiful. They really are so, so good. Like, the use of color, the use of shapes, and, like, the actual locales themselves are so interesting and unique. Like, I'm just thinking, I'm checking out some video of Ambition on stage right now, and it's just so, it's so cold, so the area is so frigid looking, but the snow on the ground, like, it's beautiful just to look at the way that the dithering effects have been applied and utilized, the sort of people eating little, eating out of a little pot in, in this little, like, igloo-type space in the background, there's a, there's a snowman there as well, and, like, yeah. a beautiful, like, red, like, parallax background, it's just, like, it's so interesting, and it really sets a scene. I think that's one thing which I actually wanted to mention even next time. But I mean, I'll get into like a teeny, teeny bit here. But just the way that each of the background locales feel so lived in, like literally just by having yeah. things going on in the back and just such interesting little little bits and little tidbits. For example, like one of my favorite ones, the English stage for John Talbain. Like that battle, it happened on like a really cool, like dark street, like moonlight out, like everything's illuminated by, you know, the street lamps. And obviously if you've been in, if you've been outside at nighttime, you know exactly what I'm speaking about when everything does look a little bit more, a little bit more dangerous, a little bit more scary. Like things are sort of set in like, it's almost like stage lights by the, by the street lamps. But like one thing that's really cool, um, the, at the very start of, the, of any match on this stage, like there's a small like mouse in the background and that mouse is chased by a cat. And that cat is chased by a dog. And, like, it's just interesting just to see the little interactions that different animals and different, you know, elements yeah, yeah, yeah. of the area are, like, put there. It, it's just so cool the way they get to, you know, have a little comedic interaction or just a, an interaction in general. It just makes the world feel that bit, that bit more authentic and that bit more real, definitely. It adds its own little character and flavor to every stage. It's wonderful. I highly recommend that to everyone. Just go on Google or go on, like, um go on like a fandom wiki just have a look at each of the stages and just watch them because they're, they're beautiful and they, they tell their own little story it's great yeah um also one thing i want to point out is uh something that people don't really talk about a lot is the logos i believe Shoei was responsible for i guess like 85 to 90 percent of capcom's logos and they are <laughs> all visually striking on brand and yeah in, yes, in specific, <laughs> like, like specifically confident, and <laughs> it's like I don't think I have ever seen one person or collective of people able to make such a strong body of work over the span of like twenty plus years, and for it to just embody like the closest that I think anybody can come to perfection when it comes to. Uh, logo design, what it's supposed to represent, uh, just it, and then like changing the game with each of them, but still having a uniformity where it's like this is a very Capcom thing. Like, mm -hmm. that is, I mean, 
from something that would be seemingly as simple as the logo for Marvel versus Capcom to uh, what the Alpha 2 or Alpha, just the Alpha series in general, what those logos did. And then if you look at like Night Warriors, I mean, that is like, a, just, that's like a masterclass in vibrancy without like getting lost, you know, like it's, it's mm-hmm. just done in such a way where you're just like, I get exactly what this is supposed to do. When you talk about Capcom logos, it reminds me of the the kind of discussion around the difference between cover art in the West versus the East is that yeah. <laughs> Cap, Capcom just knows how to make something look fun. And not just fun, but they know how to take the spirit of the game. And I, I, I call attention to this with a lot of people that are like learning logo design is that um, nowadays a lot of logos are just people taking a typeface and then putting words. But... Capcom is one of the, the ones that, to, uh, to James' point, they're so good at that vibrancy by creating, like, there's, there's text, but you can't, you can't go in and type any of these logos in. Like, there's no. so much character. <laughs> like, this is why I like typefaces are made of characters. They have character. Like, they have motion. They're frenetic. Like, they, they feel like they're for a video game. They have really bright, powerful colors, but they don't overwhelm each other. It's, an, it's insane. Um like how video game, like the core of video games, Capcom logos are. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, it, it, as you look across like their portfolio of them, like Darkstalkers has that kind of, it's, it has just enough of that that uh, goofiness that's in the game, the cartoonishness, but it has just enough of the seriousness um, in the way that they, they build the, the type around it. And like as the game gets more insane, especially as it gets into to Savior and stuff, the the logo actually changes, in my opinion, to really reflect how the game is changing, which to me yep. is insane that the logo can communicate that way. Mm. Definitely. One thing I just want to add on to that as well, just the fact that some of the angles and some of the shapes here, to me anyway, they sort of imply a, a very regal nature of, of a kind of like, it's almost um, aggressive, but like restrained, kind of like confident, like just very, very cool to look at. Also, one thing on the Vampire Savior logos as well, I didn't even realize this until right the second looking at them. At the very top of them, they have these three points on top. That's a crown. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it's yeah. Like, yeah, it, it, it implies this really kind of like, okay, we're the kings, we're the queens, we're the best kind of feeling about this. And it's, it's so interesting to look at because I just never even noticed it. Just the, the shapes, the way it all points together. It's angular, like I said, regal nature. It, it's awesome. It's really cool to watch. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things where even myself, when I have had to design a logo, it's like I've stared at like, Shoei's logos for hours like trying to be like how do I do this in my own way like yeah. how how do I uh, visually communicate uh, with such spe- uh, specificity within something that is not Capcom but have that type of confidence and um, I mean there's so many things to learn just from looking at that huge, mm. uh, you know, body of work. And, you know, it's, it's not to say that anybody's going to be able to, like, embody that because that's very showy. Like, that they, that's just what they do. Uh, but at the same time, like, being able to take that influence and say, okay, well, how do I vi- confidently find uh, my path and what I can do? Um, and, I mean, it's helped me in my own, in own way, shape, or form with the work that I've done. And it's... Like anybody that's looking to like understand how to make 
powerful logo design. Like, I highly recommend looking at Capcom's work. Uh, I mean, Arxis as well, but I feel like that's technically Capcom too, because a lot of people, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, they all kind of went over there. So, real, real, real quick, I wanted to talk about uh, the logo evolution. We were kind of mentioning that I, um, I posted it in our chat, but anybody that's listening, I'll probably post this on Twitter as well. What's really cool to me about this specific game, like Night Warriors and Vampire Hunter, is uh, the logos reference each other, uh, or more specifically, Vampire Hunter references the previous one, and it isn't. They both have really beautiful, uh, like, curves and typography. But what it is is, like, so the first Night Warriors has, like, the kind of a center of the W, really smooth. It's got, like, a, a mirror, but it's not, you know, it's just, like, a nice solid mirror that backs up, gives a base to the logo. But in Vampire Hunter, it's, it's uh, it, the glass is smashed um, in the background. And then instead mm -hmm. of the, the W, there's an H, but it's more of, like, a slash rather than a curve. And I feel like it's very much referential to the new theme where it's the the hunters coming in hunting the dark stalkers and i was like wow they 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 spent a lot of time to to get to put this kind of thought into building into a logo because they didn't have to um mm -hmm. they could very easily have done something different and like i said it it starts it's one of those things where uh capcom does do this between them so if you look at street fighters logos it's the same thing they evolve they're not so as, as directly referential to each other as this one because they're direct sequels, but it's still uh, it's a really cool detail. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. <laughs> We're all just here, just feeling the exact same thing right now. I could tell it's just like, yeah, yeah, we all yeah. we all agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Oh. I got one other thing I just wanted to bring up as well. Just basically, I, I did put this in the chat earlier, but I think we should get into this just before we all try and like hop off. But yeah, I love the intro for this game. It's absolutely fantastic. It's one of the things that I always think about whenever I think about the series because it puts together so many really interesting cinematic and like audio based like things that really amaze me. But one thing that I just want to kind of mention just off the bat, this virtual audio cue sound, like this cue sound stuff at the start, it blows my mind, like, how good it sounds, how cool it sounds, mm. how yes. it has this ominous, mysterious aura. Like, I remember hearing this, like, like I said, I first got into all of this about, literally about 10 years ago. I remember sitting at my computer, being, like, 14 and being like, okay, this is ridiculous. Like, how <laughs> I haven't not heard this before? Like, I'd never heard anything like it before. It's this beautiful cacophony of, like, really bassy tones that sort of rise and then crescendo and then fall back down again. And they've got this really beautiful kind of, like, delay effect on it as well. It feels like... Um, it, it makes a sort of noise near the very end that I heard one time. I used to want to be a marine biologist, used to go on dives and stuff all the time. I remember one time I was underwater in the ocean and I heard a noise and it sounds like what that noise was. Do you know right. when sort of like, well, yeah, it's so strange. It's like, it's like when sounds, I think something <clears throat> metal scraped off something that was made of rock and it made a kind of weird sort of like screech, but kind of like a weird sort of like reverberation underneath water. I heard it and it was crazy, but wow. it sounded, yeah, it sounded just, just like the end, wow. the final couple notes of this. It's crazy. Cause That's like, so specific. It, it is, it is, but <laughs> I, I know what it like sounded like and it sounds yeah. like this. It reminds me of that time. Every time I hear it, it's just great. Like, I don't even think that they knew like how interesting and how intriguing like this actual like little weird sound clip even is like it, it just it's so specific and it's so it's so nostalgic for a time that like i wasn't even around to exist in do you know what i mean but like it, it feels that way it's so strange yeah. to me. and it, what's, it evokes what's, a lot. what's interesting about it is that it also has evolved 
to mm. embody the feel of the games that they're being introduced to. Uh, because the Q-Sound jingle in Vampire Savior, I don't, I don't mean to jump ahead, but like the Q-Sound in Vampire Savior actually has like a chorus in it. Mm. And it embodies the feel of like Jetta's like ambiance and presence because he has a lot of uh, like his his stage has the same uh, operatic sort of chorus behind it. Uh, Even in his intro, he's got like a male. I don't know if it's a male chorus or maybe it's a female chorus that's like modulated. But, uh, you know, that same feel is in the Q sound jingle for Mm. the game. Um. You know, and it's even changed for, I want to say, I think Vampire Savior, it changed from what it was in Super Street Fighter 2. And there's like a few other versions of it, depending on the game. Uh, but yeah, the Q-Sound as a standalone is like a, a masterful piece of music. And it's like, what, three seconds, four seconds? It, it's Yeah, it's so, it's so short. And it's not even like... It's not for the game. Like, do you know what I mean? It, it's not. It's not like they went. Okay, we're doing this like for like Darkstalkers with that in mind specifically. Like it just. It just works so well. It really does. It's um. It's really really cool. I, I just. I love it. And then it just gets you hyped for the actual intro itself, which starts oh, off with God. like one of my favorite things ever that I mentioned last week was just um my favorite character John Talbain. Like he's just howling, backflipping in front of the moon. It's just like it just gets you hyped up to play. It's 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 so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's probably one of the best examples uh, for an attract mode that mm. I have ever experienced outside of I think maybe Marvel vs. Capcom One and Marvel Superheroes uh, because it was in that era where an intro could actually show you the th- the new things you could do with a game, mm-hmm. uh, and we don't do that anymore, and it's really sad. Like yeah, because yeah. I, I miss that. Like, you, you look yes. at a game, and you're like, oh, this is Marvel superheroes. Oh, that's cool. Or, oh, wait, you can do air combos now, like, in, in, a, in a more official uh, fashion, not the complicated things that I found. Like, oh, crap. You know, like, you could see the mechanic uh, happen in front of you, and you're like, that's what I can do in the game. So it piqued your interest, not because just because it looked cool, but it also was like, this is what you can do. But it didn't take away from the feel of the actual intro or the track mode. Like, it was just like, this is an addition. Like, hey, man, this is what you can do. Oh, look at this cool side-scrolling animation that we're doing. Oh, look at this. Oh, you know, it was just like, ah, I want to put my quarters in right now. Like, hmm. I miss that feeling. Uh, now it's, I think people feel like you just want to show something cool without much functionality. Uh, maybe it's stuff that alludes to a story mode. Maybe that's what they're focusing on. But I miss the idea of, hey, this is what you can do in the game. Come over here and put your quarters in. Uh, and Night Warriors definitely embodied that feel. Um, and the music for the intro is just, oh, God, it's so good. The build-up from Tao Bane, like, howling is just, oh, man, it's so good. It's so, so cool. It really is awesome. Just the fact that, again, like, they really have a big emphasis on showing the actual characters in outside of gameplay. So, for example, like, I'm just playing a couple of things there, but um, we've got Donovan, like, checking out all these really cool, like, aura spheres of all character portraits and stuff. And he's got this beautiful piece of art of him just, like, looking up 
but the perspective is obviously it's shot from behind so we're looking at his back and his arms and his lower body and his, his beautiful like braid that's going around his back and everything it's just it's such a great like it's such a great intro it's such a great piece of art just it gets you in it gets you in the mood to play and it gets you in the mood to yeah. not only play on your own but play like as these characters to go on their journeys to face their trials and tribulations do you know what i mean you get to really like embody who these people are what it is that they're about what is about to be doing you, you get to feel all of it and in such a short space of time too it, it makes such a great introduction it's, it's perfect yeah it communicates so many things effectively within such a short amount of time mm. i'm watching it in slow motion right now i, <laughs> I recommend just 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 boot up youtube play it at 25 percent speed like just savor it yeah. you can also yeah. do that for almost any fighting game that has good animations and uh yeah. You're going to have a great time. The the, the, the podcast could be renamed like the slow motion on YouTube. Hmm. <laughs> <It's so true. laughs> yeah. yeah. Like my last thing is just like I really do love the fact that the Night Warriors um logo itself, like it's it's presented it presents itself all normal at the start for like a second, and then like the glass behind it just like breaks. And it's like that's how like powerful the game is in a sense like it can't be restrained it broke its own logo do you know what i mean like it, it yeah. did its own sort of introduction in such a flashy way that leaves the glittering dust of the glass from it floating down in front of your face and it just really does make such a massive impact i mean like what is a more alarming sound than like glass breaking do you know what i mean like and it has that in the actual intro right before you play it's yeah. it's just fantastic it grabs your attention yeah, and it really emphasizes the two new characters. They're both uh, monster hunters. That's so yeah, cool. That's I never cool. thought about that, actually, <laughs> in all these years. Yeah. There's always more to like appreciate from these games. Yeah. like it, it shows you just how much work goes into like seconds of like what you're seeing. Uh, and, and for it to have such an impact. I mean, it's 2020, and we're still talking about this like it just came out. <laughs> Like that that shows staying power. That shows like, you know, command of a visual art and a and and an audio experience. Like to you know, it's not even about just okay, we got you to put your quarters in, but we're we're talking about how masterful it is. Like oh, because it is my goodness. I just noticed um in the intro, you know, one of the last shots you see is uh the portrait of Dimitri, right? And there's all the silhouettes of bats flying up. Mm-hmm. And then there's yeah. one large one, right, with the two, the flaming eyes that kind of uh, acts as the screen wipe. That's that's like a callback to like ghouls and ghosts, right? Die, die oh mak- shit! Oh wow! Right? I know. The, 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 die Makaimura. Like uh, the, the the intro for that was um, had that going on too. The flaming bat. <laughs> so cool. That's so cool. So I, I haven't uh, broken down uh, all of them, but as we're talking about this and. Uh, AJ posted a picture. Uh, I have to regale you with some color theory um, on uh, especially the Lele screen. Uh, so this is actually something that would get you like an, a super A in a color theory class, especially the ones where they have they have you try to apply actual color schemes to real applications, which famously is very hard to do because like you know they're kind of like the idea of uh, most color schemes is that they're more of an academic measure, and then you kind of use variations of them, but they exist because the uh, colors tend to work well together in certain ways. So that one I was uh, 
and looking at it at first, I was like, wow, that looks really good. And I was like, wait, why does it? And then I paid attention more. And I was like, wow, that's a triadic color scheme. And then I was like, wait a minute. It's two triadic color schemes. So uh, let me break this down for you real quick. So uh, in, this, in this case, Lele has basically a kind of a pink, red, uh, you know, kimono with gold and orange, like, uh, accents and, you know, kind of uh, stitching. And then her pants and her skin and her claws are kind of a blue and purple. Mm. And then she is jumping on top of a green. So um, her clothes, like the character herself, the, the basically the, the blue pants, the, the red clothing with the yellow trim is in itself a triadic color scheme. But what they did, which is insane, which makes it look so good, is then if you take that character and you place them um, on top of the green, then you have the green, the oranges of the reflection of the shadows, and the the purple of the of the claws and because like her pants are blue but they're kind of purple they really float in between there so um, you get this really really vibrant um, composition but it it it's 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 so easy to read because both color schemes are uh, basically just turning uh, you know opposite of each other in the color wheel but that basically means that they're both vibrant and clear. Because that's usually why you're paying attention to color theory at all, is that uh, you want to use colors uh, opposite on the color wheel usually because they'll play against each other. So anyway, uh, this is just one frame that I was staring at, but I would bet you that if we broke down other ones, that um, this this kind of understanding of how to use color... Again, my, my guess would be that they weren't like, let's make a triadic color scheme and like it's painted in gouache. Um, but I bet that intuitively these artists were so talented that... They're, they were kind of intuitively applying these schemes, but it, to me, it's always really cool where we can break down logically why the color looks good. But th that one really just blew me away because it's like very difficult to execute. <laughs> like, look it up. You cannot find a lot of places where someone is intentionally or even successfully um, actually implemented a triadic color scheme. Or uh, usually, you're seeing like complements or split complements because you know. You, you get a little bit of wiggle room in terms of like moving colors around on the color wheel and stuff like that. So anyway, super cool. Yeah, there's All just right. so much good here. There's so much stuff that you could talk about. Like it's it's you don't want to say something's perfect, but man, <laughs> it's pretty darn close. It's yeah. pretty close. Okay, um, okay, I think we're past we're well past the two hour mark. Uh, let's let's wrap stuff up for today. Um. Yeah, uh, any 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 closing comments from anyone? Cool, I got it. So basically, um, yeah, this has been super, super cool. I, I always enjoy doing this. Just wanted to give my little, like, sign out, I suppose. So, yeah, you could just, you could follow me uh, on Twitter. I'm, I mainly just use this. It's at A-J-M-A-T-T-I-S. So, at A-J-M-A-T-T-I-S. That's my name. My name's Adam. I make pixel art. I talk about level design and game design, and I like to share a lot of cool things that people are doing at the moment. I'm also a taekwondo fighter, I'm international champ. I talk about that every now and again too. Yeah, it's always a pleasure doing this with everybody here. I love sharing the good vibes. It's always good speaking about dark stalkers. Yeah, always fun stuff. Always fun stuff. Yeah, I love having you on the show. Um, yeah, let's everyone please go around like uh, let everyone know how uh, you know people can keep following you after the podcast. Okay, so I'll go next. Uh, I am on Twitter as uh, beefy underscore kunoichi. Uh, that's K-U-N-O-I-C-H-I. Um, you know, you can follow me. Uh, I 
basically talk about a lot of stuff that I like that inspires me. Uh, I've been recently uh, doing something called Lunch Break Hot Takes, where I talk about the uh, experiences that I had personally with fighting games and the synergy with uh, music, fashion, and uh, various aspects that inspire me within my own creative works. Uh, I also do talk about Part-Time Shuffle, which is uh, my current project. Uh, and I do show off some things, uh, you know, re relating to that project as well as some things that I have coming down the pipeline, hopefully. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, if you like uh, my contributions here uh, and you want to see them in text form, <laughs> uh, you know, my Twitter is full of that. Uh, I also have an Instagram called stride underscore driver. Uh, where you can also see a lot of my illustration work. Less talk from me and more just art that I create, but uh, still me nonetheless. So those are the, probably the best places to uh, reach out to me, honestly. Cool. Okay, well, so my turn. So I'm Thomas. You can follow me, follow me at Thomas Zorris. So T-H-O-M-A-S-O-R. U.S. That's super hard for a French guy to say. <laughs> Sorry about this. We will link it I'll, in descriptions and everything. I'll, I'll just watch. I'll just read the description of the podcast. Thanks. So if you want to see me uh, retweet all the art these good fellas are doing and rant about and uh, read some rants about uh, web development and uh, rants about fighting games, <laughs> I'm your guy. So please follow me. And uh, well, thank you for listening. Follow him. He's cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. I know. <laughs> uh, I'll go. Um, yeah. You, you all know me. I'm always here. Um, Sean Borsky. You can follow my Twitter. It's Daborsky. D-A-B-O-R-S-K, which if you play games, you'll notice that's basically my gamer tag everywhere because um, people just like saying my last name. So I immortalized it into my, my tag. It's, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just fun. Uh, anyway, so... Uh, I uh, I'm basically been focusing on doing writing, although I haven't. I've got a few articles that I'll be either putting on Art Eater or on uh, my own blog. Uh, so you can just follow me on Twitter for that. Um, otherwise, you can you know find me talking about games and playing them because uh, I live and breathe it at NZXT. So we're a PC gaming company. So uh, if you want to talk about PC games or if you want to see news about PC hardware or um, games that you haven't thought to play. Uh, I, I've been doing a lot of uh, work trying to find good indie games and highlight them, uh, especially ones that have really good animation. So I'm sure we'll talk about things like that um, in the future. But yep, that's me. All right. And, and Sean is also the editor of the Art Eater podcast. So he is, uh, yeah, he, he makes sure these podcasts get, get out every week. We give him so much work to do. <laughs> All right. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm your host, uh, Richmond Lee. You can follow me on Twitter at R-I-C-H-M-O-N-D underscore L-E-E. -E. Um, and, you know, if you're listening to this, if you want to follow the Art Eater podcast, follow us on Twitter at Art Eater podcast. That's A-R-T-E-A-T-E-R -E -E podcast. Um, and, of course, there's also the Art Eater website um, if you want to read some long-form articles and, you know, essays about different games and just, you know, beautiful art in general. That's www.art-eater.com. Um, and we just launched our Patreon. So, uh, you know, if you enjoy Art Eater in its various forms on Twitter, the website, the podcast, um, yeah, you can support us on Patreon at uh, www.patreon.com slash 
Art Eater OG. That's A R T E A T E R O G. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for listening, uh, and it's, thank you everyone for for um, always coming back and hanging out and just shooting the breeze about uh, awesome games. That always love. a pleasure. Always. And, uh, so much fun. Really, really looking forward to the next talk. Um, I, I, I figured that'll probably be our, our, our closeout on this uh, the, the trilogy podcast on Darkstalkers. So uh, super looking forward to that. Uh, it's very time. optimistic of you. <laughs> I was going to say a, trial, a trilogy? Okay. A trilogy? Okay. What are you talking about? We'll see. We'll see. All right. Take, take care. Take care, everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye. Stay safe out there. Bye. Take care. Stay safe.